The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Rydercat. You can find me at Rydercat on Twitter. You can find me at uh, NewsNerds Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. And the sound effects that you've heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn One, Agent Underscore Seventy on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? And Roddy Cat is 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 always surprised when I pull out the Shaggy uh, uh, reference form as opposed to the uh, Animaniacs reference. So, how's it going, everybody? Straight up Brooklyn in the house, representing. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And uh, this here is the Comic Book Chronicles. As I said, you can find this here program on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find us on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Uh, you could also find us recording every Thursday night, 9.30ish p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Uh, I'm going to regret what I just did, but nevertheless, we, it is done. Folks, we have a packed show, and we don't even have any TV to sh- talk about. That's the funny part about it. because Right, not this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not this week, but it's coming soon, very much so. Um, there's a lot of books that came out this week, so, which kind of was a surprise on us. So we're just going to jump right into it with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man number 90. The Amazing Spider-Man number 90 this week was written by Patrick Gleason with pencils by Mark Bagley and a whole host of inkers, starting with Andrew Hennessy, John Dell, Andy Owens, Wayne Foucher, and Victor Olafaba. The color artists on this book were Brian Valenza, Deho Lima, and Andrew Crossley, and lettered by our favorite lettering Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. Now... We are getting very close to the end of this Beyond storyline. Thankfully. Thankfully. So, as Roddy Cat will, uh, will, will, will start off this, 
particular book. I will just say that uh, we are seeing a little bit of the gaps, a few of the gaps being filled in from the previous issue in this issue. And we, we kind of start off this issue with that. Take it away, Roddy Cat. Yeah, so at the end of last issue, or yeah, at the end of last issue, we saw um, basically how Peter got out of the hospital, uh, got out of the webs in his hospital, and it was all thanks to Ben Riley's girlfriend, Janine. Well, that part, the the part about her, how she got there or why she went there was not known up until the start of this issue. Right. Uh, where her and Ben was running away, and he was like, "Yeah, hey, we gotta, we gotta take down Beyond and and burn the place down." Which is actually not the first time I've read that in this, uh, read that in something this week, or during something this week. But regardless, um, so basically, Jane was like, "No, we need to go by the hospital first. We know by somebody we can help, who can help." And that's where that part comes in, and. Um, and then we cut back to, I believe, yeah, Peter fighting the, the Goblin Queen to not necessarily great success, but he was kind of, you know, for as shaky as he still is, was kind of holding his own. Right. Um, and there was some really nice repartee here, I have to yes, say. Indeed, indeed. Because indeed. I think Gleason, you know, his his dialogue shine and his, his, his uh, internal Marvel continuity knowledge his knowledge of the internal marvel continuity helped him a little bit here because i really like the idea that he included an x-men reference yes 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 i, I found that i i really like that i was like oh mm-hmm. look at that that's actually really good right yeah i was like all right bravo bravo to you on that one <laughs> that was pretty good um which i guess we'll see something about that in, in a week uh about that in the next week or two now that I'm thinking about right. it. Right. But anyone who's been following Hellions or whatever they're doing with it, with those characters, wait, is Hellions over? Yeah. Are they restarting it or? No, Hellions is over. No, this is a uh, new mutants because. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They're continuing that character story. New mutants. Mm-hmm. And it was, and actually, yeah. Cause it was like between Marauder. Well, technically that came up at the beginning of Marauders, but regardless, and, and they kind of left that for a while up until recent, but regardless, um, so yeah, we will see something about, about that soon, but yeah, so back to this, like I said, Peter was kind of holding his own against the, the Goblin Queen until a certain point and, and, um, uh, and, uh, near the end of this, we get a coming together of the two spiders, men, the two men spiders, no. or t- excuse me, two of the three men spiders. Cause we know there's another one out there, which I guess we'll talk about next. Now that I think about it, but, um, so yeah, which actually that part at the end was like you know what all right let's see what happens because i do love how uh peter was like hey you're gonna try not to get nuked this time (laughs) and part of me is just like hey you know whose fault that was yours because you walked him right into a trap no no that was that was peter that said that to ben uh, if i'm not mistaken yeah so hold on also there was so and that also brings up something else because when they were talking, there was a panel where it looks like Ben was talking as Peter and vice versa. Right, right. And that was kind of weird. No, you know, I it was think. definitely. It looked like it was Ben talking to Peter, saying, "Can you not get yourself nuked this time?" Okay, so because at least was, that's I how think, I saw it. That's how right. I read it. But then, 
you know, my 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 affinity or or, or lack thereof uh, t- uh, with uh, my affinity, my my lack of affinity for Bagley's art, right, uh, is is not new here on this show. Right. So it's kind of hard to tell. Um, You're probably right. Yeah. You know who's talking to who here? Maybe it is Peter talking to Ben. Now that I look at the way the characters were positioned when they were unmasked, so right. that actually doesn't read the same to me anymore. Right. Because. Because Peter's really the one that suffered because he got nuked. Right. And I'm like, wait a second. That was all a setup from beyond. That was a complete setup from beyond because they had been in a special suit to avoid that particular uh, uh, attack. And it's not like Briley's ever going to admit to that. Right. But also, I feel like if it was Ben saying that he would have said nuked again. Yeah. So that's why I, that's why I figured it was Ben. But like you, it was like, yeah, it was kind of hard to, to tell who was talking in that instance. Mm-hmm. So that was, but like I said, that's how, why I kind of took it as Peter said it to Ben jokingly. So either way. So, uh, um, you know, what's funny was that, you know, what's funny now that I look at it, mm-hmm. if you look at the, are you on, are you on that page? The next uh, to last page of the book? I can actually get there really quick. Bing. Uh-huh. The scripting in the bubbles are wrong. Right. That's what I was so talking about. Look, right. So if you look at it, the blonde-haired one is calling the brown-haired exactly. one Ben. Right. And that's what I was talking about. Oh. Just a second ago. Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. Because I didn't like, realize wait. that's what you were referencing. Because mm-hmm. oh. I'm thinking like, wait, that doesn't even look right. Because that's like that's Ben talking. That's yeah. Because <laughs> like, when he says look Ben, I was like, wait, that's Ben who's talking. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, who's editing this. Right. And so, and, and so in that next panel, if you take it from that, if they're still using that same, the same siding, then that's Peter. Then, that's then my con- yeah, exactly. Then the way I read it works. Right. Because Peter's the one that is uh, hearing, don't get nuked again. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mm. Well, the way I'm reading it anyway, is mm-hmm. that the one that says don't get nuked because of the positioning of, from the last, um, from the last panel. If they're it's in the Peter. same position, it's Peter saying that. Mm-hmm. That's why but I took if, it. But if the dialogue exactly, see, then it works the way I read it. Exactly, and that's that's, and that's so where the funny. and that pro, and that's an issue right there. So <laughs> that's so funny. It's and I so noticed, funny, folks. Editing is hard. Editing is hard. Lindsay Kohick and Caden McGahey are assistant editors who probably did the bulk of the editing on this book. Shots fired at you. For messing that one up because you should have caught, you know, they're putting out this book on such a tight schedule. That's why they have so many inkers and so many colorists on this. Yeah, something's bound to slip because of right. uh, the, the time frame they're putting this out in. So. I get that, but yeah. still. I know. You know? It is, yeah. It's, it's still an issue, but the, but that's also par for the course, sadly. Right. Which is why, hey, but, you know what? Maybe, you know, if you're going to do this, maybe take extra care because you're, you're trying to rush. Seriously. So, uh, you know, as we said, we are, what, maybe two, three? How, do we know what issue they're going to end on? Is it 93 or 94 or 95? I, I don't think I, they're actually going to hit 95. I'm not. I want to say 93, but I'm not sure, honestly. Right. So we don't have too many issues left, folks. So, you know, we're, we're coming up next issue is uh, nine, number 91. So we are definitely in the home stretch of this Beyond storyline in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. Although we may not be in the home stretch for the Beyond 
for storytelling involving the Beyond Corporation. More on that in a second. This is true, because we are going to move over to Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 35. All righty. So, just give me a moment. Now, scroll down. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 35, is written by Saladin Ahmed, with pencils by Michelle Bandini and Luigi Zagaria. Inks are by Michelle Bandini, Elisabetta D'Amico, and Luigi Zagaria. Wow, I feel like this book might have been produced in Italy. Colors are by David Curiel, and letters are by VC's Corey Pettit. So as I mentioned earlier, we have a Beyond tie-in that seems to tie a little bit more closely to the Beyond Corporation, the Beyond storyline, than it has been in the recent past. And Roddy Cat will be quick to remind us that we didn't realize up until, was it in the Amazing book? Or was it in the Miles book where they revealed the assessor was working for Quantum? I mean, all assessor was working for Beyond, that is. Uh, and Quantum bel- was yeah, working I, for both. I believe it was in Miles' book to where we found out. No, wait. No, actually, I take it back. No, it was, I it think was it was an amazing. amazing. It was it was an amazing because because that's yeah. when Miles was like, okay, I'm going I'm going to take care of this because it was at the end of when uh, Miles had met Ben or re met Ben. Yeah, right. That's what so I was remember. Amazing. So I yes. wasn't sure if that was in the pages of the Miles book or not. Yes, no, so, it was amazing. Yeah, right. So 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 bottom line is the you know the 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 two characters who have become the leads of this book being Shift and Miles, of course, and Miles is kind of. I kind of wish that Miles' design was a little bit more streamlined. I love the the design of it, but for the baggy windbreaker. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that, and it really kind of messed. I like the overall color design, though. Yeah. Right? So I if they made that they, a streamlined Spidey suit, I would be okay with that. I wish they would have gone to the Into the Spider-Verse. This is the one time I wish they had gone to the to, to the uh, to the movie version and, and just cop that. You know what's funny? I think it, I think they 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 chose this because, or 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 they they thought about choosing this is because Shift is actually wearing his OG costume. Right. True. It's interesting that they that they that they use this opportunity to give Miles um, a different look. But in any event, yeah. getting back to this particular story, so the assessor is uh, you know is being confronted at a beyond facility and. You know, bottom line, he is holding his own and holding off Shift and Miles and is able to call in Quantum. But we find out that Quantum is not exactly playing at 100% or fighting at 100% for reasons that are a little bit confusing. And convenient. Definitely convenient because... To a certain extent, this character is overpowered, like, you know, almost... Almost to the def, almost to the extent that it's the definition of what OP is for gamers, right? Right, because he literally is imbued with, bonded with an infinity gem slash stone, right? And, and there should be no way that uh, Miles is able to connect Miles and Shift. You know, as powerful as they are, are able to connect with Quantum the way they are. Uh, in this, and when I say connect, like literally laying a finger on him, right? Landing punches, you know, yeah. exactly during during their during their altercation during this uh, issue. But it turns out that conveniently, as as Roddy Cat so aptly put it, Quantum has been 
uh, either tortured or put through some serious paces by the assessor. Mm-hmm. And Quantum uh, chooses this point to uh, choose the other side right. and turn on the assessor and uh, side against uh, the assessor and take Miles aside and leads Miles and Shift to uh, basically, uh, well, before that, at the end of, at the end of this, Miles and Shift uh, are able to at least temporarily gain a victory over the over the assessor. We don't know if this is a permanent one. As with anything that is even remotely computer related, there are many outs mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the characters, and you know, a, if a compute if a character is even remotely related to some sort of computer or AI entity. Those characters are almost inevitably find another way to come back in the future, but uh, we find that Quantum gives uh, Miles and Shift a lead on something, uh, something to investigate in the bowels of this Beyond Corporation uh, facility, and that leads Miles and Shift on a very. Uh, Let's just say dimension hopping adventure. Sure, I was going to say familiar, but yeah, that worked. That's also that works better. <laughs> um, you know, there's some very familiar looking characters who are highlighted on this last page, and we obviously see where this story is going uh, in the future. Uh, and in the next issue, it's interesting that. The cover seems to highlight some Ultimates characters. Mm-hmm. And familiar is the word in here because there was a plot thread from, I can't even remember if it was this volume. I guess it was this volume because it was like early in this volume where that is basically um, is going to get called back to. Well, it's basically getting back to uh, because of something that happened in this book. Uh, now that I think about it, due to the assessor, so I guess it, it also fits in um, as to why this is going on. So it kind of picks that back up uh, again. And I assume, yeah, because of that, once Miles gets back uh, from this arc, I suspect the assessor is probably going to be back in form. Unless some, somewhere during this next, in this arc that's starting up, that, you know, or in this arc here, you know, it's going to get dealt with, which I doubt. So, but yeah, so yeah, there's going to be Miles's multiversal um, adventure, which could be the title of the show or the next show when that, when we talk about it, uh, right. could be the case. So, and we've been here about, so we knew this was coming already. Cause we, you know, we, you know, uh, being, being a show like this kind of read the solicits. Um, so, not surprised that is uh not surprised that this is happening, but we did not know how, and now we know how that that little adventure is, is happening. So, kind of looking forward to seeing what they, what they do with it. So, and darn the place where I got these new covers because uh, it's going to be a pain in the butt now that Comicsology has changed uh, over to has fold, been folded into Amazon. Mm. I hate that. I hate the new site. Bring back comicsology.com, god dang it. Anyway, let us move on to another book. Okay. Alrighty. I guess so, you want to keep it on spiders? Say again? 
We want to keep it to the spiders? Sure we can. Because we do have another spider family, uh, you know, another member of the spider family uh, in a book this week. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, Silk Number 2. Silk Number 2? I presume it was Silk Number 2 unless you were going to go Black Widow. No, no, you're right. Silk Number 2. Silk Number 2 is written by Emily Kim with art by Takeshi Miyazawa. Colors by Ian Herring and letters by VCs Ariana Maher. So I was very much uh, glad to see this book, you know, kind of return to us, you know, Silk overall, and uh, with uh, you know, with this kind of new uh, kind of well, it's it's it's. I think they do play some reference to, I think, the previous miniseries, mm-hmm. I think, in the first issue of this series. Okay. So it is a continuation, uh, you know, uh, of the ongoing Silk narrative. It's not a complete fresh start, as it were. And I think the, the, the best part about this issue, and it's not really a spoiler per se. I know we have a spoiler warning at the top of the show so, uh, you know, you're, you've obviously been warned that we will be talking spoilers for this week's books here. But um, it's not much of a spoiler when it's on the cover that Luna Snow is making a guest appearance in the Silk book. And, uh, you know, we kind of catch up with Silk as she is pursuing this uh, Korean-centric villain, as it were. It's a supernatural uh, menace that has been unleashed on the streets of New York City, and Silk is on the hunt while she is navigating her person out of time story. Still, you know, this is you know because she's already dealt with the whole family thing. The family thing was her first ongoing series, or the first two ongoing series, as it were. Mm-hmm. Right, she's she dealt with the family life, thing. Basically. Or What's that? She's basically trying to figure out a a, a, um, a a part of her personal life at this point. Well, no, I mean she's trying to find a personal life. Well, that's what I'm saying. And yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, yeah. You know, it's it's different in that her family issues were dealt with in the in in her very first series and of series or two, and once that ended. Uh, the the character kind of was in and out, and we saw her in Spider Geddon and and, and Spider Verse. But now that we've seen uh, this character reemerge, she has been uh, a more modern take on uh, Captain America, but with an Asian uh, female Spider character, kind of navigating the world of smartphones and having a having the. Um, the nickname of analog. And so that <laughs> continues to play a role in her story and her job at the, uh, not the daily bugle, but, uh, threats and menaces. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, that's right. Threats and menaces. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. That's, uh, J Jonah Jameson's new venture online. And what we find here is that while navigating this investigation, she is invited to, uh, hang out as it were, at a show thrown by Luna Snow on her world tour. And, of course, the two stories uh, basically uh, intersect in this issue. Mm-hmm. 
you know, them. And I wanted to mention this before I hand it off to Roddicat for his thoughts that there is an incredible splash page here that I actually couldn't recall right away. It's probably because I was reading it late last night or maybe earlier this evening. Uh, and I got it confused with Black Widow, but there is an incredible two page splash mm-hmm. with Silk, Luna Snow, and some bad guys. You know, it's it's just wonderfully drawn, a wonderfully colored. You got to give all the props to Tak Miyazawa mm-hmm. and Ian Herring, who you, who we actually know uh, work very solidly together from their days on Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. So it's no surprise that they are here on Silk doing a killer bang up job. So, um, you know, it's a. Uh, it's it's a it's a fun book, and I'll uh, before I hand it off to Rodicat, I'll say that uh, it's a it's an incredible time right now. You know, and when I say incredible, it's not always good. You know, we may be on the brink of World War Three. That's probably that's probably the extent of our foreign policy talk tonight. But at the same time, this is a week where we have not one, not two, and I'm not trying to quote. Uh, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh when they were joining forces in Miami. But uh, we actually have three books this week that have lead characters that are Asian or Asian American descent. Yeah, you know, especially specifically at Marvel. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's it's pr- it's a pretty incredible time when when uh, when we see that is uh, you know on our plate to discuss tonight. I believe Takamizawa also did some Captain Marvel, but it's, you know, I, I can't, I, I feel like I've seen an episode, but I mean, uh, an issue, but regardless, yes, yeah, love is art as, as always. And Ian Herring's uh, colors along with just all, usually always some, just some great stuff uh, in, in that. There's really not much else to, to say about uh, uh, the six Silk issue, though, because we pretty much covered the, the bulk of it. It's like, yeah, we got to team up with uh, Luna Snow and, and Silk and, um, you know, uh, uh, as Age of 70 said, it's like um, uh, the, the, the number of uh, Asian-led representation this week is, 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 is great. Um, I do also like, especially specifically in this book, because in the beginning of it, uh, Cindy is talking about, I was like, you know what? Hey, Koreans, you know, uh, I have a Korean heritage. I should probably look more into it than I, than I have. So, and she kind of goes into that as she's pondering, you know, the, the, the aspect of her life that she's trying to, trying to get a handle on. Right. So I assume this is probably why the bad guy, I mean, this can be the bad, the, 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 um, the big bad here. And I guess half of the, now that I think about it, half of the, um, the, the villains that have, that she's gone after or has been dealt with in this volume, the last volume. And that, I guess in the one shot have kind of have been, had some Korean heritage, heritage, uh, Korean origin or origin to it. Right. Right, right. So. They're, they're definitely trying to dive into her Korean origin and her and her background specifically because, you know, one, Korean entertainment is big right now. And two, it's actually fertile ground for the character because of her origin, her own origin. It actually makes all the sense in the world that she would be exploring it given how she grew up basically in a in a vault. Yes. You know, with 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 with. What VCR tapes of uh, '80s and '90s uh, 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 shows, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly, she was basically the Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, but uh, but bottom line here 
is that uh, you know this is a, a pretty enjoyable book, and it's nice to see uh, members of the Agents of Atlas, you know, running around uh, without that book, you know, without that book around, still palling around together. Yeah, and I was going to actually mention that because yeah, because that's the only other place where we've seen uh, so prominently, and even then, like it, it felt like they were kind of poised to give her. A little bit more in that particular book also because you know the amadeus was the lead but she was kind of like the soul of the group right uh and that but they kind of went us they, they kind of went away from that near the near the end of that so well i mean they were trying to unfortunately they were trying to service a lot of characters yeah in that book so there are definitely some characters who've received more shine than others and we've seen Swordmaster go in a very different direction post uh, Agents of Atlas. Shang-Chi is obviously going in another direction post-Agents of Atlas. Mm. We really haven't seen much of Amadeus. He did appear in Immortal Hulk for a brief spell, right? but there hasn't been much done with that character since. Yeah, he uh, showed up in uh, Spider-Man mini uh, mini um, that I read, like Web of Spider-Man or something like that. That was from a few months ago. But yeah, outside of that. And I would like to right. the tail end of that. Right, 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 right. And that's not exactly canon, as it were, but definitely it's it's nice to see the character appear. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's just a different, you know, it's definitely a different uh, feel for these characters. But it's nice to see some of the connections remaining mm-hmm. here in the Silk Book. Right. All righty, President Bartlett. What's next? Well, there's two ways we can go with this. Uh, we could go, well, technically three, because we could do another Spider-related book. Or we can go to the other Asian character, uh, one of the other Asian characters uh, from this week. That's a good, I was about to say, that's (laughs) a good transition because there's some interesting uh, developments in both of those books that have Asian or Asian American leads in them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to choose the Black Widow book because there is... And we're not spoiling this, even though we, you know, we definitely uh, gave you the spoiler warning at the top of the show. I'm going to ring the spoiler bell here, but we're not going to spoil the uh, cliffhanger at the end of the book. We're not going to do it. We're <laughs> not going to do it. I am not quoting uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush here. That's the Saturday, Saturday Night Live version, that is. So Black Widow number 14 is written by Kelly Thompson with pencils by Elena Casagrande, inks by Elisabetta D'Amico, and colors by Jordi Belair. Uh, letters are by VC's Corey Pettit. Uh, take this one away, Radigat. So last issue, um, we were in a, well, it was basically a flashback to the first time, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first time that uh, Natasha met this uh well met the met met the um her antagonist from this issue and their first meeting when she barely got away from now uh cut this issue cuts back to the present and this uh and them still infiltrating that gala where they meet where they met up with uh where she met up with this um this person again called the living blade who Pretty much, she even admits that it's like, nah, he's 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 he he could kill me. He probably could kill me. So, um, so she's trying to deal with him while the while um, Yelena, uh, uh, 
basically finishes the plan, finishes the part of the plan where they got to deal with, which basically means rescue the rest of the team who had gotten captured, including um, um, Anya, Hawkeye, and um, and the the fake Crimson Twins who are not a part of the team but just happen to be there in, in whatever fashion. Uh, at this, at this <laughs> fake guy. Crimson Twins. That's when I, that's when I caught it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, not Tomax and Zaymot exactly, but they but they do finish their their senses just the same. So, uh, so, but, so the crux of this issue is basically um, Natasha dealing with uh, this threat while other things going on, and of course Winter Soldier's kind of like we got to go help her. I'm like, nope, we got to play. Yelena's like, nope, we got to stick to the plan, and and this and, that and the other while like I said, the fake Crimson Twins and uh, Anya and. Uh, Lucy, I believe is the other girl's name, try to escape capture on her own. Uh, but yeah, we said we weren't going to spoil the end. All I'm just going to say here is that someone gets Star Ward. Yeah, to a pretty severe extent. Yes. To a so. pretty severe extent. So the one thing I would add, and, and, and Roddy Cat covered all of the uh, salient and important points of the book, is that post-Black Widow movie, Post Hawkeye series, I can't help but read Yelena's dialogue with Florence Pugh's voice and accent in my head. Fair you know, enough. it's very faint, but I'll read it like that, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." Fair enough. Yeah. If she ends up saying "Hi," at some, you know, at some point, <laughs> soon, then, then then we will know. But yes, but I, I can. I can Matter of fact, that's a sound clip. I still need to to, to get to get out. But yeah, that's funny. But yeah, I, 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 I because there's a great that. line because you know the the uh, Yelena and the Winter Soldier have have a little bit of an exchange, mm-hmm. and she and and I I literally read this with her voice in my head. Uh, she she basically says, "You are too polite, Winter Soldier." All right, we're civilians to need a, a sterner hand, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god." I just started chuckling to myself. Yeah. If I had been like on the subway or something reading this, or in public reading this, I would have been laughing out loud, and people would have been looking at me like, "What is he reading?" Right. Yeah, it, it was it was it was pretty good. I was like, "Yeah, it does," which is kind of funny from her saying that. I was like, "Wow," <laughs> knowing it's it's the Winter Soldier, so it's like you, you don't expect to say something like that, even though he's more Bucky than Winter Soldier at this point, I guess. Right. Right. Exactly. It's it's just funny. It's like, well, it, there's no middle ground. You know, it's he's too polite, or he's a killing machine, right? So, so, but yeah, this was a, this was a a, a good book. Um, this was a good read. So, um, I am very much curious to see what's going to happen with what happened at the end of the end uh, end of the issue. Because, hmm, yeah, that's something you can't just well you can walk away from, but uh, not easily. Yeah, it's it, it's something that definitely leaves us all wanting to know what happens next. Yeah, exactly. That being said, I guess um, we can hit the rapid fire. Oh, and I, I particularly like the uh, tease for the cover for issue number 15. Yeah. That Adam Hughes cover, that's literally killer. I've seen that. So I saw that on Twitter before the, because uh, I think he had the tweeted, tweeted yeah. that. Yeah. Well, no, he, I think he had tweeted that out because it was already out from the solicits, but yeah. Or not from right. the solicits because that would have been a couple months ago. But regardless, you know, I think he had tweeted that out. I was like, yeah, that's a damn good looking cover. Eesh, that is remarkable. Adam Hughes has got some good shit too. So, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no slouch. 
Absolutely, um, absolutely. All right, so I guess we are transitioning into rapid fire mm-hmm. now because there are a lot of books we have to go through this week, conveniently so, because we don't have any television to talk about. So I am going to uh, spin up the old minigun to cue up our rapid fire segment. I ain't got time to bleed. All right, do you want me to lead off? Please. All right. So the first few books I've got are books that Roddy Cat has not read, but for one. So the first book I'm going to talk about is Berserker. Berserker! Number 7 of 12 from Boom Studios. This is a book written and conceived of by Keanu Reeves, written and co-written with Matt Kint. Uh, Inks, uh, I'm sorry, this is art by Ron Garney. Don't know why I put in inks by Ron Garney. Colors are by Bill Crabtree and letters are by Clem Robbins. So in this issue of this 12 issue limited series, we are past, as I, as I'm, as I am want to say, we are past the halfway point. And at this point in the story, we find that, uh, there is a bit more of, introspection on the part of the berserker character as well as uh his handlers because the gist of this book is that this eternal warrior you know which is definitely a, a concept that has seen several iterations and several versions especially in comic book form over the last you know 20 30 years in this con- in in this uh version this eternal warrior is under the uh is under the, uh, you know, basically works for a government agency that is actively researching his abilities and how he got his abilities. And in this issue, links up with a historian that has been studying him and his and and his history for as long as uh, he's been in empl- in the employ of the government. And uh, we, we get a little bit of a walk down. Uh, memory lane that that goes back into basically prehistoric times, and it is uh, all a, a flashback, which brings us back to where we actually start this issue, which is a test of the Berserkers' uh, powers, and they're literally about to perform a test that requires him being buried underground, and the uh the observers from the military driving away as fast as they can so it you know i think we're going to see a lot more of this character's power set and what he uh what his body actually contains in the next issue as we head towards the end uh or towards the back half let's say of this series next up is robin number 11 by dc uh, it's a dc book this is a book that Roddy Cat also read, so I'm going to talk about the credits. Uh, this book is written by Joshua Williamson, uh, with art by Gleb Melnikov. Colors are by Luis Guerrero. And letters by ALW's Troy Pateri. So we are at the end of this Lazarus Island uh, story. And several storylines are... Uh, you know, several island storylines are kind of wrapped up 
Uh, we have, of course, the follow-up to the reappearance of reappearance of one demon's head, the original demon's head. But there is in this issue a very big demon's head family reunion, and that is the bulk of the issue, uh, at least from that side of uh, from from that side of the tracks. On the other side, the combatants who survived the uh, Lazarus Island. Uh, a fight club, as it were, uh, uh, basically find themselves going off in their own directions at the end of this issue. So uh, I thought it was a nice little wrap up. I have not been keeping up with this story that closely. So and I admit to kind of being in and out of it. So I will hand this off to Roddy Cat to finish up with his thoughts on this book. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's basically like wrapping this up, like like uh, Agent Seventy said, and getting getting into a new arc because, like the, like he said, the, there's an Al Ghul family reunion there, um, uh, with some funny dialogue in it. But also, like yeah, Robin and his, his quote unquote new friends have to tie up or are going off to tie up a loose end from this tournament thing, uh, which they did, I guess, uh, near the at the end of this. Um, but also, uh, yeah, I guess uh, because of the fact that uh, the Al Ghuls came along, uh, Talia kind of came and um, gave, well, she quite offered some folks some jobs, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. for to to work for to to work for her, because now that um, there is no League of Shadows and Assassins or whatever the case may be. Also, apparently, there's a. Um, the, there was a reference to recent issues of Suicide Squad and Task Force Z because of a thing, and that thing is also going to be a thing that Robin's going to deal with next issue that may or may not bring uh, um, another Lazarus resurrection if if it, if it happens. Right. So, and that's all I'll say about that. To not spoil where that could go. But it's also really cute because apparently, you know, Damien and this uh, and that uh, flatland girl are are getting a little closer together. We do get a little bit of something about like, explanation about the manga he's been reading, but not necessarily what that manga is, whether it's real or not. So that that. But part, it's nice that what I was going to say is it's nice that they give a story reason yes, behind it. Exactly. So at least we get that part about it, which I was like kind of curious about myself. And they do go into explaining about part, not necessarily what it is, which I guess that's the more important part than what it is at this point. Right. Um, because yeah, rights being what they are, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Exactly. Even yeah, if that was intellectual a book, property rights being what they are. So exactly. Even if that was a real book, yeah, you're gonna that's all fine line in these these days with with stuff. So I get that. But otherwise, that yeah, it, it was a pretty good read from this week. Alrighty, next up for me is Philadelphia. Oh, did I do it with my spreadsheet? Here it is. Philadelphia number 19 from Image Comics. This is written by Rodney Barnes with art by Jason Sean Alexander and Herman Aramupspe. Colors are by Luis Nicht and letters are by Marshall Dillon. So this is a book that I have been keeping up with. It's generally not uh, up my particular alley because this is a supernatural book. This is a book that centers around vampires and has branched off into other mythologies as well as dealing with werewolves. I think it's original conceit, which still bears a lot of, you know, uh, bears a lot of repeating is that 
it seems uh, inspired by uh, – this is definitely something that that benefits from being post-Hamilton, you know, post-Hamilton musical because it does involve, you know, uh, characters that were, uh, uh, you know, fundamentally a part of the American Revolution and the founding of the United States. So, you know, I think the story definitely benefits from, 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 you know, an increased, uh, Increased knowledge, increased exposure of these particular uh, members of the uh, the earliest parts of American history, but obviously the supernatural twist is what is going to sell most people on this book. But the social commentary remains. You know, I have to keep reiterating this because I don't know. I think there are plenty of people on this book. I think there should be more. I think it's a pretty remarkable book. It may not be your cup of tea, the kind of the way it, it really isn't mine because it's not my, you know, it's not really the genre I gravitate to. I think that's the, the most generous way of putting it. So uh, I will just say that without spoiling stuff, because this is something that I think people should get into. And it's only 19 issues in. A lot has happened. This is the the, the, uh, the continuation of the most recent arc. So, you know, the werewolves are in play. Some of the other supernatural characters are in play, and there is a big reveal at the end of this issue of uh, yet another member of the earliest parts of American history uh, turning into a character that plays a role. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, Forgive me for being stupendously vague, but this is something I don't want to necessarily spoil. I think it's definitely worth reading. You know, if Roddicat ever finds the time when he's not catching up on uh, the newest anime, maybe he'll uh, pick up Philadelphia and take a look at it. Maybe. All righty. Next up for me is Ghost Rider number one. So we have a new Ghost Rider number one issue this week with this. What's that? I thought I read this. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Is this on your list? I didn't. Uh, I didn't no, scroll down to. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Like it's on oh, the other list I told you about, but oh, it's on the second list. The sp- yeah. Do you have it on the spillover page? Nah, nah, I didn't even bother. So. Oh, okay, because I didn't, bo- I didn't, I didn't actually click over to the spillover page. So you actually have it on the extension of your list. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so I will give the credits. So this book is written by Benjamin Percy, who is doing a lot of work over in the X corner of the Marvel universe. The art is by Corey Smith, and it's actually really solid. Colors are by Brian Valenza, and letters are by VCs Travis Lanham. So the first thing that caught my eye here was that the art was really solid for a Ghost Rider book. This is not something that Marvel is just kind of tossing aside and giving, um, you know, very uh, little attention to because they put Percy on the book. Percy's doing the Ten Lives and Ten Deaths of Wolverine at this point, and as I said earlier, and, and as I said before. He is playing a very large role in the X corner of the Marvel Universe. So it's not a surprise that uh, Marvel has given him a chance to stretch a little bit and jump onto Ghost Rider and giving him an artist that is solid, solid, this solid, solid work in this issue. And it's interesting that 
we are continuing to delve into Johnny Blaze. Johnny Blaze seems to be the ghostwriter that has, I guess, the 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 most. I don't want to say the most lives because it's it seems inevitable that we come back to him. I I, I definitely didn't read that much Johnny Blaze growing up. You know, unlike uh, Method Man, I will say that uh, Danny Ketch was the Ghost Rider that I probably read more issues with because he was the '90s Ghost Rider. Mm. But it's interesting that you know, as the Midnight Suns came about and the 2000s came about. Johnny Blaze, you know, returned obviously to the pages of Ghost Rider. So it's interesting that uh, the original concept remains the character that some creators tend to gravitate back to. And in this issue, uh, you know, they've taken the Johnny Blaze character away from uh, what they what they did with him as the as the king of uh, as the king of hell. But there are still, I guess hints of it you know I, I when i say hints of it in that they 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 start johnny here with uh i guess putting him in uh it's a trope i want to say it's a trope of putting him in a false reality that he has to fight his way out of or get freed from right and that is you know i want to say that might very well uh that might very well be related to his time as the king of hell but you know uh we'll see this is only the first issue but you know i i, I kind of like the, the setup of this book and like i said the art you know the art sold me on this i'm like okay this is worth following this is worth reading through to the end right what do you so, think yeah i uh like well i guess first i would say that yeah Johnny Blaze is basically the Hal Jordan uh, for for DC fans of uh, of the Ghost Rider set because you know there have been many lanterns, but most people tend to gravitate back towards Hal Jordan. Obviously, some of us mm-hmm. are, are, are John 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 uh, John Stewart fans. John Stewart, yeah, yeah, uh, like you said with Danny Ketch. So, but that's pretty much the 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 um, the the, the uh, parallel there in, in that situation so he was the OG so i guess you know they they're bringing it back to him for that for that reason also worth noting in that respect it's the 50th anniversary of gross rider uh of which he is the first so i guess that's the other reason why they kind of went with him for this one as opposed right. to Danny or even Robbie who's you know Right. Well, Robbie. Well, the thing is, Robbie's off on his own in right. Avengers, leading that Avengers Forever book. Exactly. And I think, and I think that's just another aspect of the anniversary of the Ghost Rider character. Right. Is that they've got a Ghost Rider, not this Ghost Rider, but a Ghost Rider running around leading one of the Avengers, the main Avengers books. Right. And Danny, at this point, while is still a sort of a spirit. <clears throat> of, I guess I don't even know if you call him a spirit of Avengers, but he's. He's, he's a new character now. Exactly. He's pretty much a new character. Of He's the spirit of something else, but regardless, it's the same thing, right. you know, with, with that. So right. I guess that's... He's running like, around with a big sword, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. You if I are absolutely correct. correct, yes. So that would leave... That also leaves Johnny, and I think... I don't know if the other... Because wasn't there another Ghost Rider that was a woman that was still around? I don't know. If oh, I don't know. Or maybe she did. I mean, I, I mean, Jason Aaron's established that the Ghost Rider thing has been around for a very long time. Right. And yeah, going back to one million BC. So that being that being said, so yeah, so here's the one that's still kind of technically here right now. 
So, right. and it's the OG one. But yeah, so I was interested in that being said, uh, I was interested in, yeah, the fact that they started him out like this kind of has me curious as to who did this to him, which I'm assuming we'll get into. Uh, but also, this sets up um, a weird X Files situation because you have um, you have the introduction of uh, the former Shield agent, who I, I assume is new, um, who's kind of like a more uh, edgy Mulder, mm. uh, and the the and who is uh, who's who's paired with a a a, a, um, a buttoned up Scully. In a sense, a male a male button up Scully, which so I guess, and so they get they they're now working for the FBI and I guess having to deal with supernatural stuff. It's probably going to be on Johnny's trail or whatever else is going on in his book because, like I said, it was kind of a weird beginning, uh, right? And, and I assume I, their paths are going to meet at some point. I got a kick out of thinking that it was going to be Daisy Johnson just for like a half second before I turned the page. Mm. Just from the back, I was like, "Oh, female shield agent." Right. Oh yeah. Quick. But they you know revealed that... they revealed it was somebody else completely new. Right. And I guess I mean I actually new... I actually don't know if this is a completely new character. That's an I, excellent. I, I, I actually didn't bother to look that up. I did, and I haven't seen anything. So I think they, and I think I've seen articles say that that it, uh, uh, I think with Percy, and which might be in the clickbait section, that she is all new. Okay. So yeah, because yeah, because I went looking. I was like, I don't know this character, and definitely would have known a character in Shield like this. So. Um, but yeah, but like I said, yeah, so uh, this is a brand new person and she's all kind of edgy and looking like crush and whatever the case may be. But yeah, like I said, they'll, um, cross paths with some folks. So I am interested enough that being said to see at the very least who's behind this and why, cause that's the kind mm-hmm. of curiosity that this, uh, cause there was a lot going on in this issue that, that didn't necessarily, uh, get to that point. Right. So, right. I will tell you that I am not a fan of the redesign of Johnny's motorcycle, the Hell Cycle. Mm, sure, because I thought like it was—it's a—it's a little busy. Mm, kind of looks like the Tumblr. It's a yeah, it's a mix between the nineties. Yeah. You know, it's it's like they definitely try to adapt the nineties bike, but with more like the Hell Cycle bikes that they've come up with in the two thousands. Sure, I'm not a fan of the design. Right, as opposed to them keeping it the classic uh, chopper. Yeah. yeah, keep yeah, it classic. That. Keep it classic. That's my that that that's my suggestion. Yeah, I get that. So, anyway. alrighty. Next up, I believe this is another book that Ryder Cat read. Iron Man number seventeen. Mm-hmm. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Ibrahim Roberson and Angel Unzueta. Colors are by Frank Darmada, and letters by the lettering Paisan, our favorite VCs Joe Caramagna. So, as always, as always, as always, as always, no good deed goes goes unpunished. Hmm. And the way Cantwell decides to uh, uh, teach that particular lesson and, uh, you know, uses the unintended consequences uh, uh, reason for many things being you know well-intentioned but eventually going bad uh trope uh that's essentially what he's done here in this story arc with tony stark iron god coming back with uh wielding if not the entire power cosmic a vast chunk of it 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, this is uh, um, unintended, unintended consequences gone berserk. Uh, if you recall, if you're not keeping up with this, uh, Tony decided to give everyone in New York City, living in New York City, a citizen of New York City, and maybe the surrounding area, because there is a, 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 a joke in one of the newscasts that they're that they're uh, highlighting that parts of New Jersey are claiming that their IQs are boosted to not quite genius level, but just underneath to 170. Right. So, but, uh, but bottom line here is, you know, the very first, you know, several pages of this issue, uh, talk about the unintended consequences of, uh, the, the population of New York city being given, uh, genius level intellects, but specifically Tony Stark level intellects mm-hmm. i gotta give uh cantwell some credit here because 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 then the rest of the issue goes on to be like what if the 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 person who think they're doing good is as bad as the person as as is as bad as the thing that they fought to get this and it also goes back to goes way back if you if you go if you take it long enough to when so um, Tony's, uh, t- Tony was fighting Korvac, uh, who is a longtime uh, adventurous villain. And in the first, one of the first, I guess the first and last, well, one of the last meetings of Korvac in the Avengers, he pretty much killed them all. Right. Uh, and all, all I'm going to say is that Tony is pretty much paralleling in a way Korvac, uh, uh during the course of the rest of this issue. Uh, in the way that mirrors that, including Definitely. one particular thing which made me pissed off, and I think you know which one that is. I'm without good. The, the the last confrontation he had before before the very last confrontation, I should. Of say. course, yeah, that one was like, tough. Really? It's like, wait a second, have you really lost? You know, right? Have you really lost all bearings? You exactly. Know? I'm sitting here like, really, we, we're we're doing this again? <laughs> well, not yeah. again, but um, but we're, we're this is what we're doing. So, uh, until the last page, where you know some, some you know the realization uh, apparently strikes comes in, but I noticed the parallel to that old Avenger story in this, and uh, without you know certain members being there, um, <clears throat> so I, like I said, shout out to, to Cantwell for that. That's all I'll say. I'm sure that, right. I, I'm assuming that was intentional, but if it wasn't, then they still good on him. Gotcha. Alrighty, next up is. Skipping, skipping. Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit number three of five. So we are beyond, well, we're just at the halfway point of this miniseries. It's written by Samira Ahmed with art by Andre Genelay, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by our favorite lettering Paisan VCs Joe Caramagna. So uh, we last. You know, we we ended the last issue with the reveal that there was, in fact, and spoiler bell here, uh, just in case you are not up to date, because this issue definitely takes us in a different direction. So in three, two, one, uh, just speed ahead if you don't want to be spoiled on what's been happening in this Miss Marvel Beyond the Limit miniseries. So we find out that uh, what... Uh, what we thought were unconnected things are probably very much connected 
in that uh, the lab, the lab accident or the lab, uh, you know, the things that happened at her, co- was it her cousin's lab in Chicago? Yes. yes. Right. So it was at her cousin's lab in Chicago, at Kamala's cousin's lab in Chicago, uh, are related to her power fluctuations. And now we have a doppelganger. Uh, situation and a possible clone situation, but we're not 100% sure. We may even be dealing with multiversal implications here. And it's not clear yet, but it, this is definitely the turning point of this story as this, uh, as this character who's introduced uh, in this series and is revealed at the end of the last issue as being kind of a doppelganger, but in this issue it's expanded upon with uh, a uh, an explanation of this character's powers, and they're kind of related to Kamala's in a sense. We are led to believe that she might, in fact, be from another dimension and may have been with that dimension's Kamala Khan or Miss Marvel. So, uh, you know, that that seems to be how the characters uh, have crossed each other's paths. But, uh, you know, otherwise it's a really solid. I, I like it as a really solid Miss Marvel story because it involves her supporting cast to a large extent, and she, you know this character's stories are. I hate to say this, they're nothing without them. You know, I think they're the strongest when they are involving her supporting cast in Jersey City. So, Interesting. you know, that's generally where this issue is. There is a nice little guest appearance by uh, Nadia Van Pym. Or Nadia Pym, I I think I put in Van. I, I combine Van Dyne and Pym. Actually, it is Van Dyne because Janet uh, adopted her. Oh, it is Van Dyne. Okay, Nadia Van Dyne. Yeah. So, but yeah, I um, I, yeah, I also thought this was going to kind of interesting. So there was a, the whole thing was like, okay, well, so we got this character and we find out some things about this character and some power set and and how kind of close it is to, to uh, Kamala's and. I was kind of wondering for a second, I was like, so wait, are they trying to change Kamala's power set some kind of way again through some interaction here? Is that where this is going to end up? Because we know her powers have changed before because even this book has been like, yeah, I used to be able to do this thing and now I can't anymore. But, you know, uh, which is one of the things that this uh, particular new character can do. Mm-hmm. Um still coincidentally so i'm sitting here like i don't think they'd be bringing this up for a reason i'm kind of wondering uh and obviously some of that is kind of off the strength of we know the miss marvel uh show is coming and they did tamper with her power set in that so i'm kind of so all that's going to be in the back of my mind throughout throughout the rest of this uh miniseries but we'll see outside of that though yeah it's been a good read you know what's interesting about this? What's that? There seems to be a parallel development in the Captain Marvel book. Hmm. Now, I'm not reading that that carefully or that closely, but I skimmed it this week. Gotcha. And there's definitely were. something of a parallel development in the Captain Marvel book with Carol Danvers. Hmm. Okay. So it's interesting that they're going in this direction in both Marvel, both Marvel people books. Which would make sense because of the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And it's actually in, it involves some, you know, it involves like uh, uh, something that was referenced in the Captain Marvel movie, but maybe explored further in the follow-up movie. 
Of course. That makes that makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, next up is Shang-Chi number nine. It's written by Gene Luen Yang with art by new artist to the series, Marcus Toe. Colors are by Sonny Go, and letters are by VCs Travis Lanham. So we open this issue in Hawaii of all places. And I say of all places because it's not typically where we've seen Shang-Chi, but there's a reason why they br- they bring the characters to this um to this locale. And it's revealed that there is uh further let's just say th- there's further there's there there are more instances of some wild oats being sown, as it were. That is a very oblique reference to something that is revealed in this issue. But we have more integration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe story of Shang-Chi into the Marvel 616 universe. In this issue, lots of uh, magic involved that is related to Ta Lo and Shang Chi running around with his uh, sisters, dealing with more family issues, and and as I said, we have the reveal of one potential uh, result of some wild oats being sown, and we do have a check in with Brother Saber at the end of the issue. Any additional thoughts? No, you you pretty much wrapped that up. Yeah, I was kind of I was curious, kind of curious about that whole the, the wild oats thing. It's like, okay, yeah, we know dude uh, Shang Chi's dad <clears throat> had got around clearly because like yeah, this and that and the other, <clears throat> like Tupac, and, right? Yes, exactly. And there was even reference to Shang Chi's other sister, who I guess may show like Shock G. No, I'm kidding. Oh no! <laughs> Listen, that's 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 a digital underground song. But anyway, yes, I'm sorry to interrupt. Right. I'm no, being no, 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 uh, no. I, I'm I, being silly. I, I appreciate the reference. I, I <laughs> I'm not even going to fault you for that one. Um, but like I said, there's a reference to uh, to, to Shang Chi's uh, other other sister, who I guess we we may may come back out. Who's kind of been uh, hiding since what the last volume, whenever she showed up. Right. Uh, so yeah, like you said, there was uh, there's a lot of familiar things going on here, and even the big bad is has a familiar is 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 of some fami- uh, family connection. Let's just say. Um, now, to the extent to where this this whole that uh, whether the royal oats have been sown, that, where that part is going to go is kind of curious. But you know, I guess. Being that this is a new arc, we're we will we're gonna have a couple of uh issues to bear that out, I assume. And probably won't even bear that out until the end of the arc, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The and the only other thing in in, in Bassin was like, wait, did did, did Brother Saber actually warrant going to the, the vault? Like I get it. He's a you know, he's a deadly martial artist in his own right. Like, yeah, sure, but I mean the vault? Like he's not necessarily a super villain, but you know, I, I'm sure he is, is capable of getting himself, you know, getting himself out of normal jails. But that part mm-hmm. was like, huh, that's weird. They put him in a vault. All right. So, I don't know. And that's, I like that he likes Jello. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, they're supposed to be Jello, and dudes in Guardians just, just being a dick to eating his Jello. I'm like, really? Right. And he paid for that one. Mm hmm. He surely did. <clears throat> so, 
<laughs> also, Alrighty. when was the last time we seen a guardian outside of probably a couple months ago? But yeah. Oh, you mean a guardsman? A guardsman, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's right, Guardian. There, I was about to say, there is a Guardsman Marvel Legends, so, you know, it's kind of interesting that we would see uh, the Guardsman kind of playing a, a role again. Uh, like you said, we haven't seen, you know, the, that armor, that suit of armor running around for a while. Right. Cool. All right, we're in the home stretch now. <clears throat> so, next up is, next up for me, that is, is Strange Academy number 16. I'm pretty sure Roddy Cat read this also. It's written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowell. So before I get started, and I'm going to be brief and give Roddy Cat some room to talk on this one, I will say that, and what what, and what what my initial thoughts were once I read this book, is that it is appreciated by myself, and I'm sure by Roddy Cat and any other people who are reading this book, that the creative team on this book has stayed consistent throughout. It is Scotty Young as the writer and Umberto Ramos. That's an that's an Umberto's clam house reference for any uh, sports talk uh, uh, people from New York that might recognize that particular call, that okay. particular um, uh, ad read actually. But it's nice that it's a, been a, such a consistent team. Indeed, you know throughout the pandemic. And it's just been such a, 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 a good and consistent read to see, you know, the art not change all that often. I don't know if Ramos has missed more than a book or two in this entire run. I don't know if he has. Yeah, you know? that's, a good, that's a good question. I don't think he has. But I don't, I don't think know. he has. I mean, there have been tie-in books and, like, those one-shots I don't think that he drew. Right. And I think maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Right. But um, But in this issue... Uh, this is very much, very, very much a school-centric issue. And we have, uh, you know, if you're familiar with some of the tropes that come with these school-centric stories of, 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 of younger characters, there is, in fact, a dance that they are preparing for. There's also um, some shenanigans that have been happening in the background but come to light in this issue and some uh warranted and i don't think overly harsh consequences paid so but what but what comes of this particular uh revelation is that uh, a relationship hits a pretty big bump mm. towards the end of the issue so I will let Roddy Cat uh, give his thoughts on this issue. I gave the most basic, broad stroke summary of the book, but I want—I did want to say at the top that this book definitely benefits and is strong because of its very consistent creative team. Take yeah. it away. Oh, I absolutely agree with it. Like I said, you—you you and I both have adored this book since since the onset of it, and and. And part of it was due because of the creative team, you know, was this kind of stayed together the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that sentiment. Uh, so yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely, um, you know, they're setting up for the for this, I guess, this winter uh, winter formal thing, and um, like you said about the consequences that happened to one student was definitely deserved and probably would would definitely be the case in a similar violation. So. It you know it 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 made much of sense you know, 
I was actually kind of surprised that it didn't take that long for that to happen because I honestly figured there was going to be at least another issue or two before something like that ended up happening. Right. Um, if it was going to happen at all, because I figured the the the, the person behind that would have gotten involved and probably would have been dealt with or going to get dealt with before then, but nah. Or, well, obviously it's still probably going to because of this, but also there was a prophecy that was um, that was peak poked in on that, as you said, uh, with uh, the uh, relationship that hits a snag, a big bump, probably is getting stoked because of because of what happened at the end, because of the the what was just mentioned, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, which I thought was weirdly, I guess weirdly, I guess it was characteristic of that character to do such to to do something. But I'm sitting here like, well, wait, that's. That doesn't make any partially doesn't make any sense, but it kind of does because we get that character cares a lot about the other students. Mm-hmm. That kind of intervenes and and try to tries to intervenes and intervenes in the thing, but also like well, we know how this character feels about the other character. Right. The only weird thing is in the age of cell phones and text messages, it seems like that's a little on the weird side. Right. Well, and I was about to say not only that, but they're at a magic school, but they also that but they, they took care of that part early in the issue of saying like, yeah, they gotta rush off magic because of the things that happened, you know, uh with uh Doctor Strange's death and I guess the cost that the the cost of using all the magic that the school affords the students, you know, is in jeopardy because of that from what they said in the beginning of the book, basically. Right. Or, the way I—I I mean, the the way I read it is that I think they had to invoke a lot of magic to protect the school and to right. set up the school. Right. And I think they—I think the cost of that is starting to come back. Right. That and the for them to be able to right it's for them to be able to shield the school and to let the the, the students kind of have a place to where they could just freely do magic. Yeah. That there was a cost. There was a high cost to that. That's coming due because of. I guess partially because of the events of Doctor Strange's death, but I assume that's going to get get somewhat taken care of, given that what we know of uh, coming out of the death of Doctor Strange. But I guess you know we, that hasn't caught up to this yet. Mm-hmm. So now the side. That being said, though, yeah, the um, like I said, the rest of the issue being what it is, and like I said, the cost and the uh, and the well, the expulsion basically of the, the, the student. And what comes from after that is going to be a, a thing that's sets a that has definitely set a thing in motion. Uh, maybe you know going towards the the, the prophecy that uh, earlier than it was expected to. I guess we don't know. We'll see though. All right. I was about to say which did they introduce a new character in this issue? I was like, who's the Chewbacca looking character? So that. Well, so actually, what they did was, I believe it was a, it might have been a one shot from probably like a month or two ago or something, where that student and a couple other students just happened to show up, hmm. or it might have been an issue. But it was like, yeah, because that student and a couple other ish, and a couple other ish, uh, students that have shown up in this book that we have not seen outside of the main crew, um, showed up in a book. They just they just happened to pop up and get introduced uh, a little bit ago in a book, and I want to gotcha. say it was a one shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably read it. I just didn't realize it, and it's right. probably because of Ramos's art. You know, looking its own. You know, he has his obviously his own style. Right. So, you know, it's been a while since I've seen 
uh, a character that looked like that in the pages of the Strange Academy <laughs> book proper. Right. So I was kind of wondering why why then there was like, well, where is these? What are these? All these new characters coming from? And then I guess why well, they just folded them in now or to gotcha. some stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it must have been during the death of Doctor Strange one. It was probably during the death of Doctor Strange one shot. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, I read the book. I just don't recall. You know, again, folks, we are one probably getting a little old, and two, we read a lot of books, so it's very hard to remember everything that we read. You know, cross brand, cross genre, cross everything. Right, and believe me, there's a lot of characters in this book already. So, it's, surprisingly enough, I remember some of the names of the characters in this book, and, and what you know, All right. I mean, that, you know, don't get it, don't get it twisted. I definitely flip back, and I definitely appreciate uh, uh, the penchant for some books, and specifically this book, to have a lot of the main characters and their faces being highlighted at the beginning of the book. Right. The, the so that we can pick them out. Yeah. Right. So I definitely appreciate that. Good job uh, on that one, uh, uh, creative team over at Strange Academy. I want to say that's probably um, from the editor. Sure. Um, I'm just going to say real quick, shout out to the um, – and there's a couple of times. Uh, if you're watching the video version of this program, you have seen me flip through a couple of uh, variant covers. Uh, and shout out to the variant cover that I had that I picked out for this one because I believe it's an art album. Actually, is it an art album? I'm not sure. Is uh, it the uh, which one call it? Is it the uh, the spotlight? It's Ryan. Ste- uh, according to the the book, uh, uh, according to this book's credits, it's Ryan Stegman actually this month. Ryan Stegman and Edgar Delgado. Oh, okay. Because so there's that one that is, says well. So where I pulled these covers from, there's one that says Adams. And I think it's a picture of, um, it looks like a picture of um, um, Danny Moonstar. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you're, again, if you're watching the video, you can see that cover as I try to balance it back out. <laughs> interesting. Now, now you made me want to look. So mm-hmm. forgive us, folks, as we, as we kind of delay finishing up uh, Rapid Fire, turning into uh, three-shot volleys. Um because I want to take a look at this cover because I because I think I re, I remember looking at it, uh, looking at this cover that Roddy Cat is referencing. Mm-hmm. So this was Strange Academy. Uh, oh yeah, right. So according to blog.gocollect.com, this is a co- you know a comic list, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Strange Academy Arthur Adams character spotlight variant is not giving me an opportunity to click on it. Don't know why. Let me click on you. I figured Let that wasn't his art, but, it's just, but that's what it said on the, on the, the variant thing. So, okay. Right. Right. I, uh, the other thing I'm looking at is the actual book itself, right. which is on the inside. The inside credit on right. this issue says that it's Ryan Stegman and Edgar Delgado. Okay, that makes sense then. Um... Oh wait, so no, but if I look, so I'm 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 zooming in on the cover now. That looks like Stegman's. Yeah, that's definitely Stegman's signature gotcha. on the right by the uh, by the braid. Okay, that's that's a, that's Ryan Stegman's signature for okay. sh- for certain. Gotcha. So shout out because you like see how it looks like a, you see how it looks like a stegosaur, right? <laughs> so yeah, Stegman. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I like that cover. It's pretty cool. 
looking. Um, also, a shout out to the uh, the uh, um, Silk, uh, the Audrey Mock one uh, from Silk Number Two. Uh, real quick, but we're gonna swiftly go back to uh, the, the yes, the because I have one book left right. before we, so I can wrap up Rapid Fire, which is now sh- slowing down into semi-automatic. <laughs> Ten Deaths of Wolverine, Number Three of Five. This book is written by Benjamin Percy with art by Federico Vicentini, colors by Diho Lima, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So if you are not keeping up with this 10 Zets of Wolverine, uh, it is most easily uh, characterized as a continuation of what's been happening in the pages of Wolverine, in the pages of X-Force, but also in the pages of anything that had to do with the recent uh, happening surrounding Moira McTaggart, because a lot of this is based around that. And we have some really big revelations in this issue about Moira McTaggart, possibly how some of the future uh, lives that we saw during Hoxpox that Moira McTaggart was living play out, uh, you know, are playing out in real time in this uh, 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine story. So if anyone is interested in seeing, seeing how that stuff might be playing out, I think you should be reading this. I initially came into this thinking that this was maybe not going to be that, crucial to the Krakoan storyline, but I think this is going to be pretty uh, this is going to be pretty important when all is said and done. So I have not been physically pulling this book. This may be something I wait for a trade on, but I think that all in all, if you are interested in seeing how um, some of these storylines are being carried forward, uh, specifically the Moira storyline and how that is being uh, kind of intertwined with this uh, trip down memory lane, as it were, because of what's been happening with uh, Mikhail Rasputin, Colossus's brother. With you know that's where that's where the X Force tie-in comes in, and just a lot of a lot of threads from various X books are being carried forward and 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 and, and uh, picked up upon. Uh, picked up on that is in uh, in this book in these series of books so I will leave it at that I really can't say too much because I think Roddy Cat may end up you know going through these books because they're coming out literally rapid fire so it's not like he's going to be waiting too long for the next chapters of this story so I, I definitely would say that if you are keeping up with the uh, Krakoan X-Men stuff want to keep up with what's been going on with Moira and find out what she's, well, what's happening to her. I think these uh, 10 deaths and 10 lives of Wolverine books are pretty instrumental in understanding what is going on and where that might be going. And that's it for me. Gotcha. I saw a tweet that said that uh, basically uh, Hickman and Hox, the whole Hoxpox thing set up Myra to be like the most intriguing character in in mutant history. I guess I think that was something like that. I'm kind of paraphrasing because I forgot the whole thing, but it was like, yeah, that's kind of true because of Hoxpox. The setup mm-hmm. of Moira from Hoxpox 
seems to be at least part of it paying off right here in 10 deaths and obviously in pages of x-men pages of x-force we saw little bits of it you know and right. all that stuff is paying is being carried forward and being built upon in the pages of these 10 deaths and 10 lives books oh in inferno also because we saw what happened when, when all that jumped off or mm-hmm. at the end of that so okay cool uh, see yeah, that. like I, I definitely, I, I can definitely say that I've been very, I've been very intrigued reading this. Gotcha. And you know, I don't necessarily think I'm. I, I regret not getting it. I, I, I wonder if it'll be that hard for me to find it. Uh, you know, at a convention or in a comic book store as a back issue. I don't think it will be. Yeah. You know, because they always put out a million copies of these things, million covers, so they generally don't sell out. So I don't think it'll be too hard. But I definitely think that if you have been following the Hoxpox Krakoan era of the X Men as carefully and as closely as we have, for the most part, I think the the uh, this ten deaths, ten lives stuff in Wolverine, I think is pretty is going to prove to be pretty important. Gotcha. Gotcha. Alrighty then. So for me, uh, we have Phoenix Song Echo number five of five, um, written by Rebecca Roanhorse, uh, art by Luca Maresca, uh, color artist Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Ariana Meyer. Um, so yeah, so this is the last issue of this miniseries. Uh, Echo has gone on a well, thanks to this other guy, she she met uh, River. Uh, so the whole crux of it was that someone was attacking her family's timeline. We found out that it was the adversary. Uh, longtime X-Men uh, fans would, who would know that name uh, from a specifically a certain X-Men event uh, would know that name. And also... All of the mutants! Exactly. And the relationships with one uh, mutant, Forge, who also shows up in this book, as if you can see from the cover. Because uh, he was tracking down um, uh, Echo because of the fact that she has the Phoenix Force in her, and he, you know, you know, he has a little bit of he, he knows a little bit about uh, you know the the the, the destructiveness of the of the uh, Phoenix Force, just a little bit, a little bit. Um. So yeah, but so yeah, so the short strokes is that um the uh, they all end up facing the the adversary in this book and uh, echo ends up getting one uh control of the phoenix force powers and realizing a little bit that is a little bit more than the destructive power that she knows it is and also meets a new friend or has a new friend uh at the outset of this um and also as i forgot from the first issue is getting trained by uh forge uh which she says she doesn't need, but you know, you know. Uh, and um, part of this had me thinking was like, well, okay, you know, this must take place uh, before the events of uh, Fantastic Four, because they end up going to a manifestation of a place uh, that is no longer around <laughs> uh, at this point in the the Marvel universe, or at least not, you know, yeah, actually, it's not even around, so. That is familiar to the Phoenix. So I, I got a kick out of uh, finding that one. I've seen that part. But otherwise, I, like I said, it wraps this up. Uh, we'll see Echo again in the Avengers uh, storyline. And 
And actually, I believe in the letters page, there's even a little nugget because of the show that is coming out that that uh, may have been uh, 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 put in there. Just a little nugget. Not necessarily anything spoilery, but it sounds like locations of something uh, that's in this book and may or may not be in the um, the uh, the show. Because we know that Echo is getting a show, uh, a Disney Plus show. So there is that. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Deathstroke, Inc., number six. Excuse me as I pull that up. Uh, it's written by uh, Joshua Williamson. Oh, yeah, you did that one already. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, you didn't put the credits in. I did not. I had the credits in. Maybe I didn't. Okay. Well, fudge. I had the credits in. I think I might have deleted them. But I know Joshua Williamson is uh, indeed the writer. Um, <clears throat> uh, let me see real quick if I can. Hold on. Let me get this to part of me for a second. Deathstroke, Deathstroke, Deathstroke. See if I can help you out. All right. So I don't have yes. all of the specifics. So, but yeah, definitely written by Joshua Williamson. Yeah. I think it looks right. like art was by Paola, Paolo Pantalena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, okay. that is the case. Do you have it up? Um, no, because stupid previews doesn't, doesn't have. <laughs> but yes, but that is true. I do know that is the case. <clears throat> And the, uh, I believe it's the colors by Fargetto. Uh, I can't remember the dude's last name. So I apologize for that one. Um, but regardless, so this first arc has been Black Canary and Deathstroke working together under this group called Trust, who is not necessarily what it seemed to be. Come to find out because of this, or the, at the end of the last issue, it's a secret society of villains. Uh, they're basically trying to try to come together to get money because of something because of hey the Legion of Doom's kind of been around and they've been they've almost screwed up the world and all they're just trying to do is get money so these these villains tried to come together to pretty much do just that so Deathstroke was like you know what I can do one better and took over basically took over um, the the secret society um, and the Apparently, Black Canary is going to help him, or was going to. Well, excuse me. Let me rephrase that. Black Canary was propositioned to help him, uh, and obviously, you would know how that goes because they have. Um, even though they were working together, they had animosity between each other, and she was kind of working with uh, the presumably the League um, to see what, uh, on her end about this. Who she ends up calling in, but they, uh, but uh, they, they, they miss everybody in, involved. But at the end of this, like I said, we get the the fact that you know, um, one Deathstroke is now becoming the king of all superhero supervillains because of this uh, this uh, cabal that he's uh, headed up, uh, uh, so that he could be, as he said, whip these uh, losers into shape and become better villains to become better villains. And we also see at the end of this um, uh, Ravager and Respawn from Robin. Um, we see where they got off to in, during the course of uh, Robin's book at the end of this because obviously they are related to Deathstroke. So, yeah. Uh, oh, Respawn, that's the character's name. Yeah. And and I 
think we forgot. I can't remember if we mentioned it during the course of Robin, but we find out. Well, uh, Respawn gets unmasked, and we find out that Ravager indeed is uh, knows who that is, and I think we're supposed to as well. And right, we, or at least we're supposed to guess. Yeah, we're supposed to have a very good idea of who it is. Right, exactly, and and I think I'm a, I, I as I was talking to Agent Seventy before the show, I think I have an idea. I don't know if that's actually true because that part of uh, one DC, you know, DC stuff. I don't know. I, I'm lost that, but. With the Destro family, I do know of some some things, and I know it can't be. Le- There's one person I know it, it very much can't be. Put it that mm. way. So I gotcha. You know what's interesting? I'm just <laughs> flipping through this book now because I wanted to help Roddy Cat out. This is, of course, a team effort here. Mm-hmm. You know, we are co-hosts here, so you know when we are looking for um, book credits, uh, while one person might be looking, the other person might actually be able to pull it up. Mm-hmm. This book, uh, Deathstroke Inc. number six, is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Paolo Pantalena. Mm-hmm. Romulo Fajardo Jr. is the go. colorist. And Steve Wands is the letterer. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, Howard Porter. Shout out to Howard Porter for... Uh, you know, coming back, I think he had a stroke at one point, or no, he had some, he had some real problems with his art, and mm. you know, like uh, he had some health problems, and he's able to recover, and uh, is back to doing comic book art. He did, he had a pretty uh, solid run on JLA in the '90s, mm. but uh, it's good to see him back. I, I don't want to mis misspeak when I say that he had a stroke, but I feel like that's what happened to him. So I'm actually going to actively look that up while, while also saying that um, Paolo Pantalina's <laughs> art here, you know, I'm flipping through it. It is very much uh, anime influenced, mm-hmm. but also I think very much, and, and I'm not saying that uh, uh, that his art uh, isn't anime or manga influence as well, but it definitely was very reminiscent of Michael Turner. Mm-hmm. Like Fathom. Like, do you remember uh, Michael Turner's art? You know, Michael Turner, unfortunately, has passed, has, has passed away. But, um, but uh, you know, the art here, you know, think uh, Identity Crisis covers. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Gotcha. The, the art here, especially the, you know, like the female, the expressions on the female faces, very, very reminiscent of Michael Turner. So mm. I just noticed that as I was flipping through while, while I was uh, getting the uh, the art credits on this. Right. And that would make some sense from the last, if, uh, I think it's been the same artist for the last few issues. Uh, that would make some sense, uh, uh, um, given some of the other art spreads that I've seen in this in this book. But it's a mm-hmm. read so far. I'm like, I'm kind of curious of where this where this thing is going with him and this whole secret society and a villains thing, or how long it's going to last. Because we know Deathstroke has done a few different things in this time. So right. Um, but we'll see how that lasts or how long that lasts if it does. Uh, move right along, though. We move to Transformers Wars End number one of I believe four. Uh, four. Yes, I am right. Um, written by Brian Ruckley, art by Jack Lawrence, inks by Matt Froes, um, colors by John Paul Bove and Priscilla Tramontano, and letters by Jake M. Wood. Um, so yeah, I think I talked about Transformers 40 last week. Uh, and uh, this book kind of references that. So basically, there's this other, I guess he's a Decepticon, or basically this other antagonistic uh, uh, bot 
from a previous war, the the, the Three Sparks War called uh, Exocron, who pretty much came to uh, uh, Cybertron to fuck it up and to take it as his own. They somehow dispatched him, but he, he's back now, and people have gotten, well, excuse me, bots have gotten, well, bots are people too, have gotten wind of him, and in this particular book, there's a group that's kind of uh, looking out, uh, looking for him while the events of Transformers 40 is going on with the, the whole uh, big battle with the, the Autobots versus Decepticons. And like the Exocon's kind of here in the background. like, yeah, I got some plans of my own. And he's kind of li- aligned himself with, uh, realigned himself with Skywarp and Shockwave. And some other Decepticons to kind of try to retake over um, uh, Cybertron. And like I said, both sides, pretty much both sides know that this person may or may not be this around. And they're like, oh, no, we're not going to have this whole, we're not going to have this back on. This is a, might be a priority if it is or whatever the case may be. So, um, and I know we know the Transformers license kind of coming to the end of, uh, around the summer. So I don't know if this is kind of was already setting in motion that or this is kind of just the side stuff to what the stuff is going on in the main book right now, which they've done that. Like they've kind of split off some stories into many series like this before. So it's not like this first time. So, uh, but that's that Aquaman number one, which is the event book, uh, for the Aquaman corner of the DC universe. Uh, let's see. Uh, script by Chuck Brown. Shout out to Chuck, uh, Carolina's own, I believe he's actually from here. Uh, Chuck Brown and Brandon Thomas uh, doing the scripts. Art by Sammy Basri. Colors by Ariano Lucas. And letters by And World Design. So, this is, like I said, the event book. I believe I talked about the end of Black Manta last week, which come, which folds into this because this is a, a event book with uh, Arthur Curry and, uh, I'm about to say Ant-Man. Arthur Curry Aquaman, Jackson Hyde Aquaman, which also, by the way, um, last week, uh, Aquaman Becoming miniseries starring uh, Jackson Hyde also ended. So you need both those two miniseries. You might want to read both those miniseries before going into this if you're interested, because they are definitely connected. And actually, they're pretty good reads on their own, especially because I just finished reading uh, before the show the Aquaman becoming with Jackson Hyde or not before, well before the show, but and it, it was actually a pretty decent read going, going into this uh, event here. So, um, Arthur Curry, Jackson Hyde, they're teamed up. They're trying to take down, uh, Ocean Master in his, but they come across some, well, they're, while they're trying to take care of that, Black Manta is also trying to take do a trick. And that's another thing which kind of stems off of his book. And that's, all of that stuff is going to be connected. And they're all working together. Uh, if you if folks don't know, Jackson Hyde is the son of Black Manta. Black Manta is one of Aquaman's greatest, uh, probably one of his main rogues gallery. You've seen him in the Aquaman movie. Um which also you see Ocean Master in the, in the movie, and he's the kind of the, the, the fodder first enemy here, so that's kind of funny. Um, but apparently, all three of those gents uh, are teaming up in this event because of things that are going on in this book. Like, there are, I'm assuming, Atlanteans that are becoming active and doing some real strange things 
uh, uh, in various places of the world, but um, they haven't all gotten to that together. Like I said, it was just the two separate parties kind of doing things, and then at the end they met up. And of course, being that Black Manta and Jackson Hyde are, you know, not necessarily on the best of terms. They they uh, have a fam- they have a reunion that goes the way it expects that uh, f- that relationship to go before uh, Arthur Kirk comes in and uh, says what he says. So I don't know. I can't remember. Actually, um, I need to see how uh, I want to say it's six, but I can't remember. It's either six or seven issues of this event, but um, but I was curious coming out of reading Black Manta and having read the Aquaman becoming of this event. Go figure. So I will, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, in the meantime, or or when it, uh, when it comes out or when it finishes coming out today. And I think some of this is coming, coming from that infinite, um, infinite destinies or whatever book that came out that started a whole bunch of stuff, but I never read that. Anywho, uh, let's see. Speaking of Aquaman, oh no, did I not get a? Oh, I don't think I got a, a get a. I didn't get a um thing for that one. So, um, Aquaman Green Target. I'm um, me, Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target Number Five of Seven. Uh, is my next book. Where's my credits and my super suit? Uh, Where is my super suit? (laughs) Uh, Written by Uh, Brandon Thomas, the aforementioned... Wow. I was hoping we were not going to have that sound tonight. I know. It's been a while. We went went pretty long in tonight's show without it coming up. Yeah, that's weird. Um, But written by Brandon Thomas, art by Ronan Cliché. I'm going to say that's how that's pronounced. Uh, Apologize if that's not how it's pronounced. Colors by Ulysses Areola. Um, letters by Josh Reed. So again, this is a five of seven. So there's a couple more uh, books to, to go. Uh, basically the guys have to team up with the enemy in order to get back to their originally guy, uh, original bodies. That would be Aquaman and green arrow. Um, because of some timey wimey business. And Hey, luckily at the end of this book, uh, that ends up happening. Thanks to a convoluted plan that, they talk about and go through at the same time, but, um, um, during the course of this issue, but there's still some fight left in this book, um, uh, coming out of it. It's a, it's a interesting story. It's, I believe there's the only thing that's not fully known is the whys of what, why this happened. Well, partially because I remember that there was a whole lot of expedition in this, in this issue. So some of that did happen, but, the next couple of issues, I assume there's going to be more to it. Uh, next up, let's see if I still have that. Yes, I do. Oh God, these covers, man! I got to find a place that's consistent covers. This is terrible. Don't like. I don't like it. Anyway, Teen Titans Academy number twelve. I believe Agent Seventy said he also kind of skimmed this. Yes. Uh, and of course, apparently this is another one. I did not get the freaking, um, 
uh, credits for? Yeah. Hold on a second. I, I can definitely pull it. It happens, out. folks, because we read a lot of books. We read a lot this week specific, spe- specifically. So let's see. It's All right. Let me see if I can help you out here. It's Teen Titans, the, huh? Yeah. Is it? A, sometimes DC, DC has this weird thing. It's like, we're going to put it at the end of the book. I got right. It. Well, yeah. It's not just DC. Yeah, true. But yeah, you're right. But I've seen them more, more often than not do it lately. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, Tim Sheridan, Sheridan is the writer. Tom Derenick is the artist. Alex Sinclair is the colorist. Rob Lee is the letterist. And that is that. So, this is pre... Um, no, we don't want to do that. Pre, Still pre-Future um, uh, uh, State. But this is pretty much rounding that, that uh, the catch-up to Future State. Um off uh both agent 70 and i thought that this was going to be the last of this book it appar- apparently it is not it still got would you say 17 is going up to 17 what is or it to 12 now it's up to 12 yeah 15. Or you say 15 it's canceled after 15 yeah so it's canceled after you know like once it gets to 15 so i believe there are three issues left right and the next issue is going into this crossover event uh that has to do with earth three uh so but this pretty much is the if you wanted to know what happened if you read the future state teen titans book and you wanted to know how that happened uh the last couple of issues of this book and this kind of go into the the where's the the what's in the house of most of that and it's still kind of confusing because i'm like wait something happened in this book that i was like i don't remember this character being this character (laughs) uh type situation going on in this book but then again future state was of shit a whole year almost at this point it seems like my goodness um wait i think it was an actual year actually because yeah i think future state started started uh january last year things i do not remember anything yeah. that happened in future state roddy cat is much better at recalling anything that happened in future state not i think much. it's probably because i skimmed a heck of a lot of it and I didn't read all of them. Like I, said, like I was telling Age of Seven before the show, there was a couple of books that I did read. The Teen Titans book was one of them. The Teen Titans Academy specifically was one of them. And even then, it was like, well, some things are not, doesn't seem to be matching up, but some things might, are still big. Because I think probably after it comes out of this uh, event, they may still do something. It sounds like they're going to wrap this book up by cleaning up that edge. I don't even know. Um, but regardless, like I said, this pretty much kind of goes off of that and it's catching up to, we, we have now seemingly caught up to Future State and probably the next issue is going past that. Uh, and we'll probably be back into the present time, quote unquote, the present time, whatever the hell that is for DC nowadays. Um, so there is that. And my last book of the night. Oh. What's that? I wanted to I wanted to update something I said earlier. Obviously, Howard Porter um, didn't suffer something that was so serious as what I thought he did. But what he did suffer was a severe hand injury, mm. and it took him. Uh, he had to take time out of comics uh, in in and around 2006, and he didn't come back to comics until 2008. So he definitely had a bit of a break. Uh, that I recall, <clears throat> and he had to kind of relearn how to draw. Oh man, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, 
well, hopefully he's, he's making a good recovery. Seems like that's the case. Um, but yeah, my last book, Silver Surfer Rebirth number two of, I believe, five. Yes, that is true. Shout out to the, uh, well, I don't know if I can get this thing doing this on the fly, folks, so my apologies. Um, the, the variant cover, which is the grand, one of the grand, uh, uh, variant covers for this month. Uh, there was also another one from another book. I think it was a Shang-Chi book that was, um, I forgot who, who she was, who she was, but this looks like this is Polaris for this particular cover. Um, but nevertheless, Silver Server Rebirth number two, uh, the short strokes is, uh, Silver Surfer and Thanos team up. Uh, Reality Stone's been taken. We found out who took it, but we still don't know who the big bad is behind the person who took it. And the person who took it um, is someone that has shown up recently in the She-Hulk miniseries and Fantastic Four consecutively. And I, I, I suspect Agent 70 knows who that is. Um... And I say in my notes, boy, they're really trying to play this person up lately. This is weird. Um, I'm not sure when this Silver Surfer book is supposed to take place, whether it's a new old book because of the... Oh, I actually I forgot to give the uh, creative team, and that's, that should say um, a part of it. So it was written by Ron Mars, uh, pencils by Ron Lim, uh, inks by Don Ho, not that Don Ho, uh, colors by Israel. Tiny bubbles, tiny <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> I knew he was gonna. I knew Agent Seven was gonna get that since I said it. Um, colors by Israel um, Silva. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So, folks, if you did not not know, I believe Ron Ron Mars has been around for quite a while, and and Ron Lynn also. Also, I believe they are the creators of um, Captain Marvel, if not Silver Surfer. Oh, right, Captain, Captain Marvel, I believe, or at least one of them, Captain Marvel, like maybe Janice. I think Janice. Oh, Janice Vell. Yeah, maybe yeah. Janice Vell. Yeah, I believe that's the Ron Mars created Janice Vell, who did show up in the first issue, but that's beside the point. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, long time Marvel um, uh, uh, creative team. At least, uh, at least Ron Mars and Ron Lim have been around for a, a, a while. Uh, that being said, like I said, um, yeah, Thanos. And Silver Surfer trying to find out who took the reality gem from Thanos. Um, and yeah. Jack of Hearts. Don't know why, but he's back. <laughs> he's a thing now. I've never liked Jack of Hearts that much. So when it, when he when got killed off and disassembled, I was not, I was like, okay, fine, cool, great. Ding. Yeah, it meant nothing to me. Exactly. It meant nothing to me. Yeah, I was I was more hurt that, that uh, Hawkeye died during, during that than, um, than Jack of Hearts. So, right, and this is when 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 most people didn't care about Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Hawkeye's one of my favorites. So, I, so yeah, it was it was it was a kind of a hurt piece when that happened. <laughs> so, yes, I'm one of the few who actually cares about Hawkeye. Listen, I happen to I happen to like Hawkeye too, but I can tell you that the vast majority of people never cared about Hawkeye. True. You know, it's not like he had that much of a long-running uh, solo book. You know, remember he was in Solo Avengers a lot. That's true. Yeah, he 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 was the Ben Grimm Spider-Man of the Solo Avengers book, right? Um, but until you know, and some people kind of came on to him with the with the fraction uh, I have run. So yeah, or 
uh, welcome aboard. Anyway, that is the end of my books. Uh, clicks of the week. All righty, clicks of the week. And luckily, we do have a couple for our, from our um, from our absent uh, co-hosts. We have from wait, who said what first? Um. Oh, so from Tim got Dark Ages number five, which I still have not read that book. I have not been keeping up with that at all, so I am very surprised that Tim has. But good for him. Kind of not. This this seems like something in his wheelhouse, from from what I remember of the premise. Um, but also, I feel like it's a premise that I know DC has done before. Um, I believe, but isn't this a, isn't that a Tim? Is that a Tom Taylor book? Yeah, I think it is a Tom Taylor book. Yeah, and so if you've read any Tom Taylor books, they they, I feel like a couple of his books have had some similar DNA in it. Um, going back to I believe Injustice, so. Anyway, um, Dirt's pick is Amazing Spider-Man number 90. Um, and I believe he said, did have us say something about that, which was, Pat Gleason has made him not hate Ben Riley, and maybe even like the character. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Lofty goals there, because I do not still like Ben. I mean, you know, that's, that's, proposition. that's high praise from PCN underscore dirt there. This is true. High, high praise. Yeah. You know, you have to come a long way to make me like Ben Riley. Indeed. Same. So. All right. So I have, because we read a ton of books this week, I have a lot of actual candidates. I actually really liked a bunch of the issues that I read this week. I definitely can tell you that X Deaths of Wolverine number three was a surprisingly strong book because, as I've been saying about these five issues limited series, Issue three is like the make or break. You know, it's what gets you to finish the story. And this issue definitely, and last week's issue of the 10 lives of Wolverine really, you know, moved the the narrative forward. And so I think, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to finish reading it, but I think that I can more readily recommend it to other people and especially Roddy Cat because it does impact how you read uh, you know some of the previous Hoxpox and Krakoan stuff that we've gotten so far mm-hmm. um, I can actually say that I enjoyed Silk number two a lot because there was just a really it was just really fun to read um, you know surprisingly Ghost Rider number one wasn't bad you know, for yeah. for a relaunch of a character that we've seen, you know, done a couple of times, I thought it was a quality, you know, number one issue for that character. Mm-hmm. And even Black Widow number fourteen, despite the fact that I misremembered uh, a piece of uh, splash art from from that issue, I thought that was you know very well done. I think that it obviously benefits from. Um, you know, the exposure that the Black Widow movie received as well as, you know, in my head, reading some of Yelena Belova's dialogue with uh, Florence Pugh's voice in my head. So, um, you know, I thought that was a pretty strong book this week, too. And uh, shout out to Philadelphia number 19 for picking up where it left off and definitely bringing us into um, 
I don't want to say new characters because they're not new. They're just reimagined, as it were. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that Rodney Barnes is going all out in, 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 in involving many of the founding fathers of the United States into uh, this Philadelphia book. But I think after all that procrastinating and bloviating, as it were, talking about all these books, I think I'm going to settle on, man, I think I'm, you know what? Surprise, surprise. I'm going to settle on what I thought was the most fun read of this week was Silk Number 2. Mm, okay. Although Strange Academy, I didn't say it earlier, Strange Academy I really enjoyed because uh, it was good seeing uh, a character kind of get, uh, punished yeah. rightly for what that character did. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, Man, I, had, I basically listed like more than half of the books I read this week because I thought it was a pretty strong week. It was. It was a lot, also a lot of from this week. So, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it was an interesting week for books. Um, I can definitely agree with your assessments on Silk and, and Strange Academy. I, I uh, enjoy both of those books. Um, Robin number 11 is actually kind of a, a, a interesting candidate for me. Um, uh, be, because of a couple of things that happened, this is kind of happened in that book. Um, also Aquaman number one, but I, but that is kind of off the strengths of the fact that I actually read uh, Aquaman, the becoming a uh, miniseries right before I read that issue. Uh, you know, cause like I said, that was the only other thing that, that I knew I needed, that I knew I was going to need to catch up on, uh, to see if there was anything, uh, tying it in to this event. The, which kind of, but you know, not as much as the black Manta at this point, but I'm sure all of that will come into bear. Um, so that being said though, um, hmm. 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 You know what? I'm going to, like I said, shout out to Strange Academy always. We always give that give that one love. But I think I'm actually going to go with Robin number 11 this week. Interesting. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Um, and I feel like there's, there's, there's more... To, to come in that well I don't know how much that's how much more interesting because it's all, that whole tournament uh, Mortal Kombat tournament thing was was interesting for a couple of issues but I feel like they kind of stretched it a little bit longer than it needed to um, but now that's over so it doesn't matter or as far as we know because I feel like they're probably going to come back to something on that uh, that being said Yes, Robin number 11 for me. So we're going to go over to the new, swiftly go over to the news section. But first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron, fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. 
From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through CSPN.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. I will take this opportunity to say that one, solicitations for uh, DC Comics came out li- well after the show last week. Um, so those are out there in the uh, show notes if you are so inclined. But also, hey, take a look at the clickbait section if you have a chance because there is a good bit of uh, ancillary news in, in there, including... Um, if you, I don't know, are curious in um, Sebastian Stan's thoughts about Kevin Feige and or um, Sebastian Stan's uh, movie career, hey, you should check out the video that is basically breaking down some of his some of the roles, which apparently is more than what I thought he's done um, <laughs> during the course of his career. Um Apparently he was on Gossip Girl at one point. Who, who knew? Um, if you if you watch such a thing, and um, news, cinematic news, as we start off with every week, Knuckles spinoff series announced with Idris Elba in the lead. So yeah, we know there's a uh, well, we know Sonic the Hedgehog two is coming up. Uh, Knuckles is supposed to be in it. I believe actually that's coming up soon. According to the article, it says in April. Uh, see, but it says here that Sega has already decided to go, that it's got to go fast on spinoffs and sequels for its burgeoning Sonic Cinematic Universe. Oi. Um, Deadline reports that a third Sonic the Hedgehog movie is already in development, which makes sense because if I almost, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, if I remember my video game lore, uh, history. Uh, that might be right. Anyway, so, anyway, uh, Third Sonic the Hedgehog movie is already in development. Not only that, but a Knuckles spinoff series is in the works. Well, wait. Knuckles is going to be in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Never mind. Um, but yeah, Knuckles spinoff series is in the work for Paramount Plus with Idris Elba set to be in the lead role since he is playing Knuckles in Sonic 2. Um, so yeah, I still not seen the first one yet. So I hear... Relatively good things from some people about that. Go figure. Next up. Next up, Disney Plus's She-Hulk reportedly adds Howard the Duck to its cast. So, um, posted to Twitter by an eagle-eyed fan, the French publication Pixu Magazine, or Pixu Magazine, I think it's I think it's probably pronounced Pixu Magazine, recently ran a story detailing some interesting information about the anthropomorphic talking duck. Roughly translated, after detailing his marriage to Thor's Darcy Lewis in the animated series What If, the piece drops this little hint. The She-Hulk series, which arrives this year on Disney+, Plus, could reserve some what-the-duck surprises. This should delight lovers of this rambunctious duck, determined to do as he pleases. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it is a report, so you take it with a grain of salt. But you know what? I feel like that one is probably as credible as anything else. I mean, it would it makes some kind of sense. You know, sometimes a lot of times She-Hulk is played for the giggles, breaks the fourth wall before um, Deathstroke, Death, 
Deadpool was doing it. Mm-hmm. So, sure, why not? Uh, why not a live action Howard the Duck in this uh, in this thing? Um, but Marvel taps Moon Knight directors to helm Loki season two. Apparently, uh, let's see Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, according to Deadline, uh, reports that the duo will co-direct a majority of the episodes. However, there are some other changes to come in the TVA to the TVA in season two, according to this. Um, Michael Waldron, who was the showrunner in season one, will now be executive producer. Eric Martin will step into writing duties for the six episodes uh, of the season two. So, and I think there was another article about which shouldn't be that big of a surprise, but Owen Wilson is uh, set to reprise his role. Um, and, and the thing, like I said, probably shouldn't have been a surprise. And mostly everybody else, I think it's, I think everybody else actually is coming back forward, including, uh, Gugumbatha Ra. So, yay. Next up. Sorry. Alrighty. Uh, huh. Yeah, I read, I read this and I understood this because it is, um, it is somewhat, uh, based in, uh, character rights issues, right. you know, because we definitely thought we were always curious as to why um, we had never heard the name Shuma Gorath in the lead up to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness movie coming up. And we learned even, uh, you know, closer to the movie's release that uh, in the marketing for the movie, one of these characters, this, this particular character who resembles Shuma Gorath has been renamed Gargantos for the movie. And it's probably because um, Heroic Signatures has the name, the rights to the name Shuma Gorath. Uh, Heroic Signatures um, is the uh, the entity that holds the rights to um, lots of these um, uh, uh Conan the Barbarian type uh, intellectual property uh, characters like the the what's the what call it the um, the Robert E Howard characters mm-hmm. like Call the Conqueror and right. Conan the Barbarian and they also have the Shumagorath name uh, the Shumagorath name comes from a Call the Conqueror story the Curse of the Golden Skull by Robert E Howard and uh, that's probably why Marvel just decided to rename the character you know whole cloth. But it's still kind of well, I guess, and it does make sense. I'm still calling him Shumagorath, so it doesn't matter matter to me for that. But it's also kind of weird to me because Marvel has the Conan license now. Now I don't know what that means for the cinematic universe, though. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if that if those rights translate over to to such thing because we definitely no we rights seen... are specific. Yeah, that's the thing. Rights are so specific, you know. Right. Especially anyone who's banging out those, you know, banging out those particular agreements. They're very specific because, especially in this multimedia uh, uh, day and age, where rights can be uh, uh, exploited, and that's really the best word for it. Sure. The, the the licensing rights for certain characters can be exploited across so many different forms of media, and be and you can make money across all of these various forms of media that if Conan is what's being licensed to Marvel by the, the, the people in charge of the Robert E. Howard stuff, it's just Conan and maybe a couple of the related, uh, like belief, like belief, 
You know, that character's probably included in that agreement, but a character like Shumagorath, probably not, especially since it was it was coming out of a Call the Conqueror well, story. Except for we have definitely seen Shumagorath's name and likeness in like Savage Adventures. So Oh, what did they use the name? Oh yeah, they, yeah, he he totally showed up a couple of times. Yeah. Hmm. Like yeah. maybe it's a public. Yeah, I was, but that's the thing. It's 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 specific to the publishing. Right. But that's what movies. I'm saying. Yeah. That's and that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah, because it might be different for the movie stuff as opposed mm-hmm. to this. Because like I, said, I definitely know I've seen this character in that with that name show up in the books recently. Which, gotcha. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's like I said. I'm still calling him Shumagorath, regardless. Of <laughs> I mean, that's what we're all gonna think. Anyone who played Marvel versus Capcom or uh, Marvel superheroes, that is right. the original Marvel superheroes video game. The uh, what was it? I forget the the subtitle, like Quest for the Infinity Gems or something like that. Or that's one of them, sure. Something like that. But the original Marvel superheroes Capcom video game. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I have so many fond memories of that game. <laughs> uh, but next up, I believe. Wait, is this me? Yeah, you're up. Sure. Uh, Marvel's Blade adds old actor um, Aaron pa- Aaron Pierre. Um. So yeah, Aaron Pierre is 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 pre- going to be in the Mahershala Ali Blade movie. Um, I it's an M Night Shyamalan movie that I have not seen, uh, and probably will never see. So I don't know who this person is, but he does look slightly familiar. He's got some weird looking eyes. Um, nevertheless, um, don't know who he's going to play according to this. Um, so that's all we know. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me see. Actually, I'm in a bit of a... Oh, He's uh he's played Mufasa and Barry Jenkins Lion King prequel. Okay, never mind, it doesn't matter. We still don't know who he's gonna be playing in Blade. So probably find that out later on. Next up. Secret Invasion set photos show off one of the MCU's scrolls. So uh behind the scenes photos from Secret Invasion provide a look at one of the scrolls that will appear in the series. One of four pages from the set. Four four images, that is, from the set of the Marvel Studios series shows the back of an actor's head wearing a prosthetic that is clearly the green head of a Skrull, a shape-shifting alien first introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Captain Marvel. The other photos feature the crew as well as an underwater stage and a damaged police car. And Roddy Cat is holding up uh, as his virtual background threatens to overwhelm his uh, what, what he's trying to show. Uh, there it is. Perfect. Stay still. No, back, 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 back. Closer you, to your face. You have to you realize bring that, it back closer to your face. Yeah, you have to realize that we are a couple of seconds. <laughs> so, that, there it is. Yeah. Re- regardless, uh, yeah, I'm holding up a, a trade copy of uh, uh, the Mighty Avengers Secret Evasion uh, trade that I just really found before uh, uh, before coming across this article. I actually probably found this article before that, and I don't think about it. And uh, still sealed, by the way. So I have not read this at all, ever. Because um, I'm pretty sure I've never read Secret Invasion, even though I know some things that are coming out of it. But regardless, um, yeah, Secret Invasion, the show, is coming up at some point soon. Uh, more scrolls. Though not the scrolls we know and hated uh, back in the day. Well, we don't know that, for sure. Well, we that's 
that's probably true. You're right. Because we, uh, we don't know that for sure because well, the roles say, that the scrolls play here may be both part of the protagonist and the antagonist. So let me, yeah. So let me uh, recalibrate that and say that as far as we have known up until now, right from the MCU, because the way they played out was definitely in the Captain Marvel movie was definitely not the way they played out in the comics mm-hmm. yet. So. Uh, we'll see. Uh, next up, though. Uh, Craven Hunter movie. Uh, Fred Hetchinger joins the cast reportedly playing Chameleon. Uh, this Fred Hetchinger person is the star of HBO's The White Lotus, has been cast, as I said, in the Craven the Hunter film, which I can't believe is still going on. As the, um, the answer hero's brother, which I keep forgetting that they're, like, related. Uh, Chameleon and Craven the Hunter are supposed to be related some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still even remember seeing that from that other Spidey story from last year or whatever. But uh, Hetchinger is also known for his roles in Netflix's The Woman in the Woman, the, the Woman in the Window, pardon Tom Hanks's uh, News of the World, and a reoccurring star role in Fear Street. Uh, he's in that Pam and Tommy show. Uh, and Hulu, and going to be doing something with Christian Bale. So, all right. Then it kind of goes into who the chameleon is. Um, uh, and for those who don't know, chameleon is the Spider-Man villain. Um, also, one of the Sinister at one point. I guess he was one of the Sinister Six, wasn't he? I don't remember. Oh, the chameleon? Yeah. Was he? Was he one of the Sinister Six at one point? There have been a couple of iterations, so it's hard to remember. It, yeah, not, was he wasn't just, in the original. Right. True. So, regardless, Spider-Man villain. That's that's, that's the main thing. But mm-hmm. he's going to be in this Craven Hunter movie. That's Yeah, I mean, he's one of the earliest Spider-Man villains, too. Like, he was there during the Ditko run, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wait, he might have been the first, wasn't he? I feel like that might be the case. You but, might be right. Yeah, I don't but know. I want to say he was he was definitely, definitely one of the early. First. Yeah, you, he's definitely early, like you said. So either way, next up. Oh, this is some fun news. Yeah, this I was really this. this when this hit my social media. I smiled. I didn't even have the heart to retweet it or repost it on Instagram or whatever. I I really did smile when I saw this. So Tom Holland, wait, Toby McGuire. Spoiler alerts because I know if just in case some people, this is already given away. Oh, just in case you didn't watch No Way Home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So spoiler spoiler alert for No Way Home. Spoiler alert for goodness sake. If you haven't caught COVID yet because you went to go see No Way Home, guess what? It is coming out on digital very, very soon. It's part of this. um, It's part of this uh, announcement because. Um, yeah. uh, it's going to drop on digital platforms March 22nd on 4K UHD mm-hmm. and Blu-ray on April 12th. Yeah. So we've got, you know, there's been uh, lots of people buying it on pre-release, pre-ordering it. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, this movie made so much money. Most people have seen it. But as Roddy Cat said, not everyone has seen it. Yeah, and they're I waiting know. for the home release. Well, I knew so, spoiler alert, so. Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, and Andrew Garfield recreate their version of the classic Spider-Man meme for the No Way Home digital release. And when I saw this, I smiled. Mm-hmm. Like a big, goofy smile. Yeah, apparently this was also on the, uh, which I think 
well, there's a video in this article uh, about it, but I believe in the clickbait section, I do, there is the, um, I think I have it in the video, or maybe it's in this, but regardless, it's a video of them goofing around uh, behind the scenes uh, uh, for this. Um, it, it, it's very, I guess, setting up for this, for this thing, for this meme that they did. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So, and I believe that that whole thing is going to be on the, um, on the, the, uh, the home release. So if you don't see it on, out there on YouTube or friends article, then yeah, you'll see it on the, the, the home release for a certain, but it was cool though, to see them, them to recreate the thing. Uh, but next up, um, actually I'm gonna take both of these, these, uh, these next two because they are related. Um, excuse me. Uh, actually the, the one after that is related, but I'll let you take that one. Uh, Charlie Cox, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. Charlie Cox says no one cheered Daredevil cameo at his no way home screening. So basically Charlie, Charlie Cox snuck into, and also this is still spoiler alert for no way home, because if you did not, uh, so my apologies if you. You know, if you've been spoiled, uh, if you came back in on this part. Uh, but yeah, Charlie Cox, y'all know him from Daredevil. Um, um, snuck into a movie theater uh, to, 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 you know, to, to gauge people's reaction to him coming on screen uh, for his on-screen cameo in No Way Home. And apparently the screening that he went to was dead fucking silent, according to what he's uh, what he says. Um, he said his wife was recording. It was like they got to that part and nothing. So, which I've seen people on on um, on on social media was like, that's not how my theater was. People were like, you know, when they saw the cane, people were like going going crazy when they saw the cane. Yep. So I can tell you that that was pretty much the reaction in my theater. Hmm. Uh, and since I did not go to a theater, I. <laughs> I, I I basically freaked out when I when I saw it uh, sitting here in my own home. Don't ask me how <laughs> I saw it. I think you can figure that out. Um, but yeah, it was for academic review purposes. Exactly, and I'm not risking COVID for 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 for. Uh, I do you know, I, I do a lot for this show, but I'm not trying to risk risk COVID for it. So, but yeah, so that was that. Um, in a slightly related note. Charlie Cox says there's quote unquote something else planned for his Daredevil uh, after his No Way Home cameo, which you would think would make some sense, right? Uh, but uh, apparently he's um, he was he told Radio Times that he knows something, but doesn't know much. But he knows there will be something else. Obviously, Disney snipers, Marvel snipers, being what they are, he wasn't even if he knew more than he could say, you know. Or he was gonna catch the can of um, catch the brick coming through the uh, uh, coming through the window, right? As in uh, his no way home turn. Uh, yeah, he wasn't gonna be able to to tell, even if he did know. So it makes sense, you know. Like I said, we've seen him. We've seen the Kingpin. We we figure something else is gonna happen in MCU, whether he he's at liberty to tell or not. Uh, he does also say here, it's like, to be asked to come back and be involved in any capacity is absolutely thrilling to me. I hope I get to do loads more for many years. I hope it never ends, uh, he says of his previous, uh, he said previously of his return to Marvel. Yeah. Next up. 
Next up, uh, so in some interesting news, but not unsurprising, Daredevil, Punisher, and more Marvel Netflix shows land at Disney Plus in Canada. So we knew that these shows were leaving Disney Plus. Mm. I mean, we're leaving Netflix. Yeah. Um, but now we have learned that all six titles, all six Marvel live TV shows will be available to stream on March 16th on Disney Plus in Canada. So uh, in just a few more days, Netflix, these Net- Marvel Netflix shows are going to be leaving uh, the Netflix service. Right. So it's still unclear what the plan is for viewers in the United States. Three word, three letters. VPN. VPN. Yep. I was just thinking. But the same it thing. seems right. It seems unlikely that we're going to need to deal with that issue for too much longer. It's probably just a uh, a couple of uh, deals that still need to be cut. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it'll probably end up. I would, as we speculated, uh, and we made a talk about it last week uh, on the show. Probably going to be Disney Plus. I would assume. But mm-hmm. can't really take that for what it is outside of speculation, right? It makes no sense. I mean, we we speculated that because of the slightly more adult nature of these Netflix shows that they might put them on Hulu, which yeah, is which true. still might be the case, right? I think I said that, and you said Disney Plus, yeah, right. I just think that it's wiser to put it all on Disney Plus because it keeps it all together. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Like I said, like I said then, like yeah, I would love that for it to be the case because I don't have Hulu, so. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, if not, like I said, Canada Disney Plus VPN go uh, on the sixteenth, so you'll only be without it for two weeks. But if you haven't uh, caught up and you want to catch up before it leaves uh, Netflix, I believe there is a handy dandy guide of. Um, uh, of a chronological order out there somewhere. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in last week's show notes. Um, if you are interested in trying to do that in the next three to four days, good luck with that. Right. right. And for real, you really, really don't need to watch any Iron Fist. I mean, unless you just want to see Jessica Henwick, but yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. So outside of that, you definitely don't. Yeah, that's pretty, that, that, that that's pretty on point. All um, right, what's next? You, you could actually almost, uh, even though I'm halfway through, you could probably skip Defenders, but, you know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, next up, uh, Superman and Lois set photos give John Kent the classic 90s Superboy con- uh, costume. So, apparently, there were photos, for some set photos um, taken uh, that shows... I always want to say Lois and Clark, like Lois and uh, like Lewis and Clark, the explorers, but um, Clark and Lois's son wearing a new outfit, seemingly inspired by Superboy's appearance in the nineties. Uh, actor Jordan Elsass was spotted in a black shirt, bearing the House of Vale crest under the under a black leather, excuse me, under a leather jacket, while also sporting bright red pants and gloves. So wait, do they call him? So you know, it doesn't matter. I was about to say, don't they call him like Superboy Prime or some shit? No, no. I don't know. I don't really remember. But regardless, punk, punk Superboy, as I called them. So if you're watching the video, you can see the slightly blurry shots of what could potentially be something or it could be, could be nothing. Maybe it's a Halloween episode. We don't even know. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Next up. All right, so this is these are spoilers for last week's Peacemaker finale. So if Remember you that? have not watched Peacemaker, 
the or the ending of Peacemaker last week. Uh, these are spoilers, so please fast forward. Yeah, I would say Peacemaker these. What's that? I've said take this one in the next one actually. All right, Peacemaker's finale originally had both Batman and Cyborg as part of the Justice League cameo appearance. Fans of the show were massively surprised when most of the teams turned up at the end of the final Peacemaker episode. However, um, you know, the, uh, there were some uh, probably real reasons as to why no Batman and no uh, Cyborg. You know, one being that uh, Batman has a new movie that's coming out very soon. We're going to talk about whether or not we're going to be uh, going into movie protocol next week, as well as uh, Ray Fisher's issues with uh, Warner Brothers. So that definitely uh, makes things makes it a little bit more logical that the characters that we do get in uh, the uh, uh, cameo appearance are the ones that are, that, that show up. Yeah. And apparently, this article has a picture of the person who is going to be uh, doubling as the bat uh, from their Instagram account. Right. Which goes into the next one. All right, let me open that one up. All right, so in this story, uh, the actor actor that uh, stood in as uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman posted to her social media what her uh, costume looked like. It's a reveal of uh, her Peacemaker cameo on Instagram. Yeah. I can't remember if I said this on the show properly or not, but I could have sworn because of the because they had to obviously they had her, everybody outside of the other two that showed up, which I guess spoiler, uh, Jason Jason Momoa and um, uh, what is his face, um, uh, Ezra Miller, showed up on the show actually, and then they had like uh, Superman and Wonder Woman in the shadows. I thought the Wonder Woman was black. I'm like, oh shit, it's Nubia, but no. As this lady, young lady, you see here in the photo, uh, which also I was thinking, I was like, wait, does she even look as tall as Gagadot? But it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Um, a little behind the scenes there. Uh, Jensen Echols' mystery DC project involves uh, Arrowverse boss Greg Berlanti. I say not a big surprise because <laughs> there's not much uh, DC related TV shows that don't go through Berlanti's uh, production company uh, at this point outside of the HBO Max stuff and James Gunn, which there is another article, which I not I think I, I, I will mention here is that James Gunn said, I think he's going to be taking a year off of movies after uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and just do TV because we do know he has a couple of uh, other DC projects uh, uh, going on outside of um, Peacemaker Season 2. So big whoop but yeah uh so we don't still don't know much about what jensen eckles um project is you know he we know he's going to be at uh, south by southwest 2022 this year as a guest and it says here that uh it's providing a description of the career which includes line developing developing a un- untitled dc project with greg Belanti, and that's pretty much where they got that from so whether he's going to talk about it at south by I guess we'll find out when that happens. Next up. All right. Oh, this is a weird one. All right. Arrowverse Gotham Knights show first look image reveals logo. 
Executive producer director Danny Cannon unveiled the first look at the Arrowverse's Gotham Knights show by revealing the logo for the pilot. The new installment in the CW's DC Comics franchise is set in the titular metropolitan city in which, quote, in this iteration, Bruce Wayne has been murdered and leaves his rebellious adopted son to forge an unlikely alliance with the children of Batman's enemies after they are framed for Bruce's murder. The group of mismatched fugitives will have to band together to become the new saviors of their hometown known as the Gotham Knights. And however they're going to try to keep that CW money flowing, they're going to do. Yeah, They're going to try this, it. Right, but this is also the same plot of the video game of the same name, which is coming out this year. Still, I believe it's still slated to come out this year. So whether it is attached to that, which seems kind of more likely with that, with this premise being out there, um, then yeah, I guess so, so... I mean, it's not specifically stated that this show is connected to that video game, but we, but again, it's the same plot. Mm. Take it from there. I forgot about that. I forgot mm. about the the video game. Yeah. So that is kind of interesting. Um, Constantine, the House of Mystery trailer picks up after Apocalypse War, which was... Well, I still have never watched that, actually. Um, the DC animated movie universe may have come to an end with 2020's Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. That doesn't mean John Constantine just gets to ride off into the sunset. Uh, as a part of IDM FanFest 2022, DC and Warner Brothers Animation debuted a your official trailer for Constantine, The House of Mystery, an R-rated DC showcase animated short coming to Blu-ray and digital as a part of a com- upcoming collection. Uh, the House of Mystery sees Matt Ryan replies his role as the voice of John Constantine, who's been sentenced to a light to, to spend eternity traps inside the titular house, with demons no less. Uh, as punishment for his actions in Apocalypse War. So, yeah. Uh, Based on the giant green glove hand that flicks him through the cosmos, it seems as though Constantine's warden is none other than the Spectre, according to this article. Again, I've never, I've not seen uh, Apocalypse War or any of the, or the other Justice League Dark animated movie, so this is news to me one way or the other. Next up... Next up, all right. So here are some uh, early-ish Bat- the Batman uh, spoilers. So spoilers for possible spoilers that is for the Batman coming out next week. So a deleted tweet claims to reveal that a certain uh, character, possibly being portrayed by Eternals actor Barry Keegan, is set to appear in the Batman. Although the tweet is no longer available, and it's supposedly leaks his true villainous role. Eobard so the deleted Dawn. tweet shows an image of actor Barry Keegan as who else but the Joker in director Matt Reeves' upcoming film starring Robert Pattinson, Pattinson as the caped crusader. Uh, the tweet has been deleted, but uh, that is a possible uh, spoiler. Back in November of last year, Keegan's brother Eric Keegan may have spoiled that the actor would be playing the maniacal villain in the film, uh, uh, saying to that, saying something to that effect in a now deleted exchange. Yeah, uh, this dude looks looks a lot like Ezra Miller. That's why I said what I said. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. I guess he's getting work. He had a punchable face in Eternal, so go figure. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it makes sense. The Batman star show uh, shares his one condition for putting Robin in the sequel. Sequel should there be one, I guess. Um, so Robert Pattinson is open to Robin joining director Matt Reeves' gritty, gritty noir take on the Dark Knight mythos, but only on one condition: he needs to remain a boy wonder. Uh, quote unquote, yeah, but he has to be 13. Patterson responded to the Robin question at a press event already attended by, uh, excuse me, attended by Collider and other outlets. That's the only way I'll accept it. No, I love death in the family and stuff, but I think it'd be cool. Also, people are so scared of it, but it's kind of exciting. I think it would be a really fun addition. Now, you could read that first part of this a certain kind of way, and I'm trying to go to stay away from that, but I'm just saying it's out there. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, that you could take that the wrong way. Yes, easily. That's that's. I want to say that's probably poorly phrased. Yeah, probably. But also, anyway, that's there. That take that for what you will, folks. Uh, next up, <sighs> of course, I would follow that one up. Mm-hmm. All righty, zero fifty cent. You got to say that correctly. You can't say 50. It's 50 cent developing movie based on Priest and Chris Cross's DC comic series. This is a live action film based on Priest and Chris Cross's Zero series from DC Comics. And 50 Cent will be developing this under his G Unit film and television banner. Uh, this is reported by Deadline. And this would be developed as a film franchise with G-Unit Film and Television producing the adaptations alongside Color Farm Media's Erica Alexander and Ben Arnon, as well as Joseph Illich, CEO of the production company Illuminous. Uh, Priest is a master storyteller, said Alexander Zero is a powerful project, and we're thrilled to partner with Curtis, 50 Cent Jackson's G-Unit Film and Television, the preeminent power players. So this is a series that was written by Priest and drawn by Chris Cross. And it ran uh, at DC from May 97 to June 98. I do not remember this at all. Neither do I. So don't feel bad. May 97 to June 98. I was definitely reading comics at the time. But then again, I and I was not. And especially not DC. uh, Even if I was. Because it was definitely, I think I was still doing some trades of Marvel stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting premise. It, it's about a, a, a character named Coltrane, Train Walker, an African-American man who uses invisibility to disguise himself as a white man while he works as a government assassin. Okay. that's. I I almost kind of wonder if that's on DC on, on uh, whatever that thing is. Um, Not DC Unlimited. It's DC Universe? Sure. Th- that thing. There it is. Yeah, that thing. Uh, there not, it is. Not a plug, just saying. And you know, shout out to Christopher Priest because you know, good for him that he's yeah. getting uh, some shine on some projects that he, uh, you know, he did a while back. You yeah. know, it took him a while to get back into comics, but glad that he's back uh, uh, creating again uh, for, uh, for you know in, in the comics space. And lastly, G Unit. Thank you. I was waiting for you to do that. I appreciate it. I think it was like, well, shit, if he wasn't going to do it, I was going to have to. So there we go. He, um, actually, a couple of names of, of no, yeah, definitely shout out the priest because the, the pre- preeminent run of Black Panther. I don't care what the universe says. You, that is the run right there. You have to read priest run on fucking Black Panther, period. Um, and some other stuff he's done. But 
some names across the, uh, uh, that are that are on this article, uh, real quick. Erica Alexander, I think some is that the lady from Living Single? That is for, exactly. Uh, also, cousin Pam from the Cosby Show. But yes, that is definitely Max. Oh Living yeah, Living cousin Pam. Mm-hmm. I forgot Which, about that. Yeah, because she she had that book, um, Con- Concrete Part. So we know she's been into comic book stuff uh, in the last few years, and uh, I guess that is her. Um, her production company with her husband, I think. I can't remember. Okay. So, yeah. And, of course, we know Joseph Illich, you know, um, ex, well, I guess he's still, a, I guess he's still doing editing over at uh, Heavy Metal now, but, you know, that is a long-standing name in, in comics as, as a, as an editor of note. Um, so, yeah, that's, and I was wondering why he, well, I was, almost wondering why he was tweeting tweeting out outside of the fact that you know it was it was a priest book you know i mean it was a priest adaptation so this makes a little bit more sense even outside of that gotcha 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 yeah and and, and uh and illage is uh frequent some of the comic book stores that i go to here in brooklyn so right you have to that's right true and he, yeah and he's been down here to to um heroes con. well i mean obviously he's hit some of the cons so he's been out here to heroes con a couple of times i wanted to talk to him about scared <laughs> so anyway uh power rangers dino fury uh sets uh season two premiere date debuts uh new opening theme um yes there's still power rangers going on apparently there's another season that's on netflix um it's going to premiere exclusively on netflix on march the third in the u.s until the tune on march 5th in canada uh new zords it's power rangers folks you know you know the deal Go, go, Power Rangers. Next. Next up. Uh, where are we now? Where are we now? Where are we now? Power Rangers. Okay. Will Smith and David Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Yeah, I, I got it correct. I I'm an idiot. Yeah. Team to adapt Onyeka and the Academy of the Sun for Netflix. So this is being reported by Variety. And as I wait for this article to open up. Uh, this is an exclusive for Variety. It is a film adaptation of that book. It's based on the, it, the it's an upcoming book actually. It hasn't come out yet by British Nigerian author, journalist, and hair care educator Tola Okogu. And it tells the tale of a teenager who learns she has powers and travels to Nigeria to learn more about her origins, where she discovers the threat to her newfound magical community. Okay. Okay. That honestly sounds like something of interest. Um, yeah, I'm looking for you know a release date for the book. Mm-hmm. Also, obviously, this seems like a young adult title, but you know, as there are adults who, you know, I mean, there are not necessarily just because it's uh, for young adults doesn't mean that older folks could read it. I will say that. Right. All right. Next up. Yeah, uh, guess we're getting into the anime corner. Oh, our anime corner is here. One second. As I pull up a proper transition. And the first story is why I chose this. That's Go ahead. pretty good. Uh, New Dragon Ball Super Superhero Clips uh, reveal sneak peek at the next movie. So yeah, uh, Dragon Ball Super has given fans a new sneak peek at the next major feature film with new clips from Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Toei Animation will finally be bringing back the anime franchise for the first time in four long years. 
and there's so much that we don't know about what to expect from the new movie. Uh, taking place on Earth for the most part, uh, and touting a central role for Gohan and Piccolo. Uh, there are lots of reasons to be excited, but fans have only gotten to see a little bit of how it all looks in motion so far. And apparently that has all changed um, uh, as Toei uh, Animation showed off even more of the new movie during a special panel for the film as a part of Dragon Ball Games Online event. Other Dragon Ball Games Online event. Uh, there was no new full trailer released just yet, unfortunately, but there's a few notable clips released that showcased uh, more of how this new three-dimensional art style for the franchise looks in motion. Yeah, this new art style is kind of weird looking, but I might be kind of into it. I, it's kind of hard to say for so until I, until I see the movie and finish Super, but that's beside the point. Right. right. The, the interesting part of this article to me is that and and obviously as a newer uh uh as a newer consumer of uh anime that's not uh Attack on Titan because I did watch Attack on Titan in full like a year ago like more than a year ago mm-hmm. you know to get up to date with the uh the 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 current season mm-hmm. so but there was a gap and obviously during the earlier part of the pandemic I watched actually no uh uh, correction, like like two more than two years ago now, because God, we've been going through this pandemic for a while. So like uh, you know, during the pand- over the course of the pandemic, I watched Dragon Ball Super, and I did not realize that when I was watching it, it had already been out for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I was obviously you know fortunate enough to be able to binge it all and not have to deal with the weekly uh, the weekly release and waiting for you know episodes for you know a year. You know, once they go on hiatus. So, um, you know, I'm starting to learn that now as I'm keeping up with current anime that it's a very different experience when you're waiting for like a year or more for the next season of a show that you've like basically binged in like a month. Or, you know, like, let's say when I say a month is probably something that's that's like Haikyuu, which did have that many episodes in four seasons. So I binge that in like, say, let's say roughly a month and change. And you know, it's been a long wait for, you know, for, for any announcement, forget, you know, forget, uh, forget getting a show, even an announcement for the right. next step for the next season. So, right. um, it's interesting that that is the, the plight of anime fans. Long standing. Yes. Yep. Better than yep. what yep. it was to, to, cause in the days before internet, Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I believe it. All right. Next up. Yeah. Uh, Aniplex, Aniplex. Andy announced Plex. with a teaser right exactly i wanted to do the the jingle too right mm-hmm. aniplex see i did it announced with a teaser trailer during the knee R. i've never heard of this the knee R automata what's that near, near automata oh near yeah uh near automata fifth anniversary live stream on wednesday that square enix and platinum games is near automata action role-playing game is inspiring a television anime okay so uh so this game tells the story of androids 2b 9s and a2 and r2d2 and their battle to reclaim the machine driven dystopia overrun by powerful machines humanity has been driven from the earth by mechanical beings from another world blah 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 yakety schmackety now there's a war between machines and androids raging on a war that could soon unveil a long forgotten truth of the world so um so this game seems to be inspiring a new 
anime. Hmm. Okay. This game, yeah, this, uh, Nier Automata is a great game. Uh, it's been out for a minute at this point. Now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm, I, I'm not. Sure, I guess I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting that the uh, the creation, the order of creation, is I think reversed. Because doesn't it, isn't it generally manga to anime to video game? But this started out as a video game. Uh, in cases, yes, but yeah, in cases, yes, but not always. Yeah, I, I would say that. Because yeah, there are definitely sometimes there have been cases where it's like, hey, it's a video game that been that's been translated doesn't get a manga treatment. Well, or sometimes doesn't get a manga treatment until later, but it goes like from video game to anime, then sometimes racks back racks back around to to manga. Like Ace Attorney is kind of a prime example of that, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe the anime might have came out at the same time as the the manga. But in, in any case, yeah, there have been video game to anime slash manga translations that kind of come straight through that way. So, um. Kind of surprised it took this long to do this, but at the same time, I also kind of surprised that this one happened. But like I said, I know a lot of people that like Near Automata, uh, Automata, uh, including myself, and I'm not even a big RPG person, so uh, there is that. Next up, though, uh, Amir's D- Demon Slayer Entertainment District opening song streamed over 90 million times. So, uh, Amir's new song, Zakio Sanka. Song of uh, Reverberation, Reverberation, that would be the part I mess up. Uh, the opening theme song for Demon Slayer's uh, uh, um, Entertainment District Arc ranked number one on, on Oricon's weekly streaming ranking for the sixth time since its uh, digital release on December 6th of last year. It was streamed a bunch, a bunch of times between February 14th and February 20th. It was the third consecutive song the week um, has spent on top of the charts. Now, I believe you and I had a conversation about that song, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, the, you mean the Entertainment District arc? Yeah. But are you, you are, wait, so are you, are you, did you finish it? Yeah, I'm finished. The Entertainment District arc? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. I was, done, I, so, yeah, I was done last week. Yeah. Right. So what's funny is that the, this song, I kind of chafed at the song at the beginning. Right. Now, the, the song, that's why I brought that up. Right. I chafed at the song at the beginning. I did not think it was that catchy, but then it just ingrained itself in me. Now I'm like, okay, I get it. I dig it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't, I still don't think it's as catchy as the original, as the, as the first season's I mean, uh, opening song. It's a little more jaunty, but I guess it makes it, it fits the art for sure. Oh, um, definitely fits the yeah, art. It's a little more jaunty than the first season's uh, opening was. So it does kind of catch you off guard if you were thinking it was going to be either the first, you know, the first seasons or something else. So, but yeah, it definitely does make sense. And I think, you know, it is kind of catchy. So, or it gets to be kind of catchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it grows on you. It's yes. definitely, it definitely grows on you. Yeah. I want, so are they keeping track of US streams also? Is this like universe, like uh, uh, worldwide be- streams? I w- it doesn't say here. I believe this is just Japanese, Japan only. Uh, cause yeah, I'm not seeing anything on the US. Uh, because that would be interesting to see how many times, uh, it is, uh, streamed on like Spotify or, uh, YouTube, yeah. you know, if they added those in, if they could, if they could, uh, uh, add those into that count. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't seem like that's the case here. And, uh, and knowing this site, I think this is just uh, Japanese numbers. So. 
Uh, next up, though, mm, it's inter- It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. All righty. Next up, Ghost in the Cell. S A T twenty forty five underscore twenty forty five. You know, I am Agent underscore seventy. I want to stress the underscore. Reveals teaser trailer Netflix premiere window. So um, this is Ghost in the Shell SAC underscore 2045 season two. Uh, let's see. The trailer offers a brief look at series protagonist Motoko Kusanagi and her partner Batu and offers a few new details about the ongoing post-human threat that they will deal with in the new season of the show. The trailer narrows down the premiere window for season two to sometime during May 2022. Okay. Yeah, I still haven't seen the first season because uh, there's, there's a couple of those um, Ghost in the Shell joints that came out, like with younger Makoto um, that I hadn't watched. Yeah, I I have not watched these yet. I still have to finish the original Ghost in the Shell, Ooh. and I've read the manga. Mm-hmm. Oh, I still you... haven't made it all the way through the original one. Did you watch uh, Innocence? The second no. Movie? Oh no, I just haven't made it through. I have I, I tried watching the first one and. Uh, I think I had to press pause because of something and I never went back to it. So I need to get back to it. Gotcha. It's a classic for a reason, but it's also for some people could probably hard to get into. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, now we're going to go over to uh, the comic book news, but still stay in the anime corner. See how that works out. Okay. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, what is our first story? Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we are kind of still in the anime corner, so I won't hit the transition just yet. Which is good, because the next one's right up your alley. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Gundam hits new Gunpla uh, sales record for the year. So if you don't know, Gunpla, Gunpla is basically model Gundam kits, uh, for, for, for those not in the know. Um, and apparently, and I guess this kind of makes sense, because it says here that... Um, for 2021, Gunpla sold 10% more over the previous year's totals, with uh, April to December 2021 20, seeing an increase of around 9.7% and netting Bandai Namco over not 290 million USDs. Uh, it says here, so in demand were Gunpla in 2020 that Bandai Namco used a new facility to continue production in the face of events such as uh, the series' uh, 40th anniversary and the upcoming live-action Gundam movie. Wait, is that... They're really still doing that. God damn it. Uh, live action Gundam movie that is in the works at Netflix. So, yeah, not surprising. You know, we're still in a pandemic. People need to do, still need to do, and Gunpla was already big with certain people anyway. So, why not sit home, make it, uh, build them model uh, Gundams? You know, even if it wasn't already a big, as, uh, a big enough thing as it was. So, not hey, people were Gundam. building puzzles. So, right. this makes. You know, th- this is like a uh, 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 another version of that. Uh, you know, you can extrapolate that, right. you know, and, and, and you know, uh, uh, expand upon it and, you know, create a different style of puzzle for people to do at home. Right. And, yeah, like I said, Gunpla has been big, as as article says, uh, Gunpla has been big for decades and it's only been getting bigger, you know, so never really got into it because... I don't have the um, wherewithal. I don't have the bandwidth for it. But I do like them. They look cool. Right. And you know what's funny? Before I move on into the next story, I'll tell you that there are varying price points mm-hmm. that go along with how complicated they are. Exactly. And they're actually relatively, 
they're, they're actually gumplas that are very pri- uh, 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 kind of beginner friendly and price friendly. Like right. they don't go beyond like what uh, like a slightly more pricey Marvel Legend goes for. Right. You know, anywhere between twenty five and thirty dollars. Right. Yeah. Like you know, you and it's like... really it's I you know I was surprised at the price point being that reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like once you get to like Master Grade, that's when it gets like real real pricey. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. Those are the those are the you know those are meant for the people who are really supremely into it. But if you just want to dabble. You know, there are some reasonably priced ones out there, and it's mm-hmm. it's a really interesting hobby to try to get into. It's not like, like much like Roddy Cat, I don't have the bandwidth for it, but it looks so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In- All right. In, next up in supremely awesome news, mm-hmm. and as Roddy Cat said, it is nice that I uh, was able to pull this story. Haikyuu, the volleyball anime and manga, is set to release a new manga for its 10th anniversary. Uh, Shoyo Hinata will return for a new anniversary chapter that will show what's happened in the years since the manga's conclusion. So, uh, a new chapter of Haikyuu's on the way. Weekly Shonen Jump announced that a new one-shot chapter of Haikyuu will be released soon to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the popular sports manga. The new chapter will be written and drawn by original creator Haruichi Furudate and will reveal what Hinata and the rest of the Karasu no High Volleyball, high volleyball Team are now doing in 2022. Shonen Jump did not announce a premiere date for the new chapter. The new manga chapter is just one of many new releases that are planned for Haikyuu throughout its anniversary year. In addition to the new story, an anniversary book that looks back at the entire history of the series will also be released, as well as a full-color edition of the original manga, which will only be released digitally boo. The series is also receiving a radio drama, which will feature a new story that was written by Furutate. Um... I'm not going to read the whole article, but Haikyuu premiered in the pages of Weekly Shonen Jump in 2012 and concluded its serialization in 2020, I believe, like, like right in the heart of the pandemic or soon after, like, you know, sometime in the middle of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, it's a great, listen, it's a great story. Uh, I I, I kind of spoiled myself once I finished the uh, the available anime to see what the next chapter could be, and I read up on like summaries of what the manga is, but I have not read the manga. But it is one of the most popular sports manga, and I know a lot of people who are into shonen stuff, and they just can't find themselves getting into a sports manga. If you're gonna pick up one sports manga, this is the sports manga you or a sports anime that you watch or you or you read. Right. There you go. Um, 2022 free RPG Day publishers dates announced for North America and worldwide. Uh, Gaming Days LLC has announced the dates for this year's free RPG Day, along with a list of publishers that will be participating. For North America, this event will be held on June 25th, returning to its traditional date following pandemic-related changes last year. Uh, Outside of North America, the event is scheduled for July 23rd. Uh, Gaming Days managing partner Steve Ellis explained the decision for the split days to ICV2, uh, saying that it is a hope that this provides the best opportunity for everyone to plan and have a successful events. Um, so yeah, I'm going to assume Free RPG Day is similar to Free Comic Book Day, but uh, this is probably the first time I've heard about this. 
there's a list of participating publishers. I won't necessarily go into it, but some of them are known by people who are into uh, RPGs and board games. Next up. All right. I mean, I'm going to play the transition, but we've officially started the transition into games and comic news. Okay. So Hasbro announced Dungeons and Dragons Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, a new D&D starter set by Wizards of the Coast, and it's going to be coming in 2022. Hasbro revealed the new starter set as part of its innovative play and entertaining lineup trailer. There were very few details about the product outside of what can be seen of it in the trailer. The new box set will likely come with a booklet, presumably featuring a streamlined rules set like previous starter sets, see Stranger Things Dungeons & Dragons starter set, and character sheets. Beyond that, the only other detail offered up about the product were that it it will be for all ages and it will retail for $49.99. It's kind of a price hike for D&D starter sets. Previous starter sets carried an MSRP of $19.99. Yeah, that's a big jump. Yeah, it is. But I thought I feel like I feel like second edition kind of went for like 25 or 30, but I might be slightly wrong about that. And also that for, the star- for the starter sets? Uh-huh. But again, different <laughs> different time and I don't remember that was so long ago. So so yeah. long ago. Um so, but yeah, that is a price hike um for certain so maybe there's going to be a lot well, in it. You know what I was going to say? I think maybe it's because a lot of people are playing D&D online. That is also true. I mean, yeah, but I feel like there's still a lot of, even in that traditionally done D&D, mm-hmm. uh, 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 even even if it is done online, that, like it might start on the paper and then just translate to, because there are definitely translatable ways to I mean uh to you know to to translate the paper to the to the to the online. I'm sure there are lots of people that are doing such, you know. And still running and still running um, you know, actual tabletop games just doing them online for certain. Uh as we've seen. So yeah. But it looks like yeah, this is uh oh wait, it's a the box that will come like likely come with a booklet. Presumably featuring a Streamlines rule set uh, and character sheets. I guess we're still on 5e. I don't know. I, I don't recall the, any rule changes, but then again, I'm you know I don't know. I'm not up. I'm not completely up on it. I'm actually still waiting for that Marvel one to come out, but um, just to see what what's what's going on with that one. But I would be interested in looking to see what's what's going on with this also. Anyway, next up, uh, Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends revs up uh, Spider Crawler from Hasbro. So CBR can exclusively reveal Hasbro's new Spider Crawler uh, HQ playset, inspired by Marvel and Disney Junior's uh, Spidey and his amazing friends. Not to be confused with the one from the '80s, which is probably decidedly way better. Not to say I've seen this one. Uh, the two-in-one playset transforms from a vehicle to a two-foot tower featuring light sounds and more. Uh, it also comes with a posable Spidey figure and a motorcycle. You can see it all folded out right there if you're watching the video version of the show. Uh, it comes with a posable... I said that. The set retails for $89.99 and is expected to arrive in stores in the fall. So, $89.99? Yeah, clearly for the little jimmies and the jimettes. 
Oh man, that's yeah. expensive, but that looks cool. It is kind of cute. Yeah. It um, definitely reminds me of uh whatchamacallit? There's a there, there's a version of this that the PJ Masks had that I bought as a gift. So I think maybe this is gonna have to go on my list as well. Nice. Wait, for yourself or for your family member? For family and uh, family friends. Gotcha. Yeah. So, look out for that. Um, Next up. Alrighty, next up. So, in video game news, Marvel's Avengers video game promises Nick Fury's return to S.H.I.E.L.D. The character has been missing in action since the game launched. Revealed in an official blog post, developer Crystal Dynamics explains what players can expect from Marvel's Avengers in the future. While a formal roadmap is still being finalized, fans can look forward to a wealth of new features, including Nick Fury returning to active duty. Um, Nick, uh, Nick Fury is supposed to join director Hill in coordinating all future Avengers missions. It's currently unknown how this will impact the game's narrative. It's also unlikely that Fury will join Avengers roster of the Avengers roster of playable heroes. I need to get back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently some, some core mechanics of the game need to change and adapt based on how gamers play. So apparently, uh, some updates to this game are incoming. Well, that's been going on since this thing came out because this game did not launch great, uh, mm. but it's, it's reportedly has gotten better uh, it, in the last year or so. So, cool. Uh, Marvel may be working on a Midnight Suns tie-in comic book. So it seems, according to two recently filed trademarks, the rebooted Midnight Suns team may feature in its own comic book series. Uh, based on the language used in the documents, trademark applies to both printed comics and digital comics. So probably Infinity Comics uh, coming to uh, the um, Marvel Unlimited, likely. Uh, it's currently unknown whether these books are slated to release, but given the likelihood they, um, that they will connect to Phyrexis' upcoming strategy game, they may launch within the same window as the game. Seems likely. Um... Okay, I'm sorry. This deep, the Demon article, Demon Slayer article has got me because I thought they went over that during the course of the show. Uh, anywho, uh, so yeah, that's the thing that could be going on. Uh, the patent, you know, it's patents, patents could be anything. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a comic book was supposed to be slated to come, is supposed to be slated because that's just synergy right there. <laughs> so, uh, not surprising. Next up. I think we talked about this story last week. Marvel is set to adapt wild cards to comics. This is a sci-fi shared universe set of stories edited by uh, Game of Thrones writer George R.R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass. Uh, Marvel has announced a comics adaptation of the first stories. In Wild Cards, a set of science fiction shared universe stories spread across over 25 novels and 20 short stories. The adaptation will be a four-issue miniseries, The Drawing of Cards, by writer Paul Cornell. And artist Mike Hawthorne, and will be accessible to both new readers and longtime fans of the series. the The first issue will be released on June first, and will have a cover by Steve Morris. Okay. Oh, just a, just as a reminder, in the world of wild cards, humans who are infected by the wild card virus either die, develop bizarre mutations, or gain superpowers. Okay. Sure. Um, oh, and finally, a television adaptation is actually in the works. Yeah. Uh, coming to Peacock, apparently. Um, mm. Which is kind of also interesting because uh, George R. R. Mountain, Martin has something to do... Well, 
pretty much wrote or co-wrote um, that Elden Ring game, which is our people are wildly going on about that just came out. Uh, Dark Souls type type game. So, uh, yeah, people are losing their shit over it or something. I don't know. Regardless, there you go. Um, Protectors of Wakanda highlights the history of Dodoro Milaje. Uh, yes, we have talked about this before, but uh, the reason why we're bringing this up now is because there is a uh, poster for, or excuse me, the cover of the book uh, written by Karama Horn, um, aka known as the Blurred Girl on uh, on social media. Um, we know her, we love her. Um, well, we don't know, I don't know her, but uh, she's she's pretty dope from stuff I've seen of her. Uh, but she's writing this book. Uh, so in this book, if you did not know, is it a history and training manual for the Dora Milaje? Uh, the origin and intense training of the Wakanda's warriors highlighted by in journals from veteran and new Doras. Uh, and this is an article from the root, which has a exclusive reveal for the cover, uh, which is set to be released September 13th of this year. Uh, so you, if you're interested in that, you should go check it out, go, you know, do, uh, get your order in whatnot check this article out because it goes on into the in interview uh with miss horn so yeah next up all righty next up uh i opened this article nubia is coronated queen and gets an origin in a may dc special in coronation special number one so the seven-part Wonder Woman crossover event trial of the Amazons does not begin until March. Newsarama can reveal something that won't be changing during the storyline. Nubia will retain her crown as queen of the Amazons, and in May, DC is making it officially official. It's going to happen in a 48-page one-shot titled Nubia Coronation Special Number 1. Uh, Nubia was given the crown by Hippolyta when Wonder Woman's mother left Themyscira for the man's world to serve on the Justice League. While Diana was making her way back to the earthly plane, following the ev- the events of Dark Knight's Death Metal. Excellent. Yay! Remember that one? We haven't brought that. We haven't played that that sound effect in a while, but uh, it's still relevant. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you've been following, if you've been listening to the show last couple of weeks or last few months, you you know I've been talking about Nubia and the Amazon book, which is the tight, which is leading into this trial of the Amazon thing. So this is good news. I was kind of wondering about that, especially given what uh, the the end the the ending events of last issue, which I think I talked about last weekend or last week. So uh, Tom King and uh, George Fornes reteams for Danger Street Black Label series. Uh, let's see, DC Comics has announced Danger Street, a new 12-part Black Label maxi-series from jo- Tom King, George Fornes, and Dave Stewart, the same team from the recently concluded Rorschach series. Uh, no letterer was named in an announcement, but it's a safe bet that it's Clayton Cowles, according to this article. Uh, this new book seems somehow even more further afield than Rorschach ended up being uh, launching with Danger Street number one on May 3rd. The series will run bi-monthly, and is billed as being poised to plumb the depths of the DC universe, quote-unquote, through another, quote-unquote, deeply layered crime drama. 
Uh, most interesting letter teases that it will update and reimagine versions of uh, some of uh, DC's most obscure and offbeat, offbeat superheroes, specifically those that uh, appeared in DC First Issue special series in the mid-1970s, which is a comic that uh, both me and this article's writer have never heard of uh, before. So... Um, it says the entire run of the book is available on DC Infinite, uh, which is the comic, which is the Marvel Universe, the DC equivalent of the Marvel Unlimited, excuse me. And a hardcover collection of the 13-issue series was released in 2020. Uh, There you go. And this looks like the cover for that thing. Next up. Next up... Matt Bors, founder of The Nib, is launching a new sci-fi satire comic. Okay. Get this article up here. In April 2021, political cartoonist Matt Bors announced his departure from The Nib, the political webcomic site he helped create. Uh, He's back now, having teamed up with cartoonist Ben Clarkson to launch a new six-part comic book miniseries titled Justice Warriors, which looks like the kind of sci-fi satire that would put even RoboCop to shame. As reported by io9, uh, it's the first monthly comic book that Clarkson has ever been involved in, and it follows two police officers, Swamp Cop and uh, Shit, whose beat is inside the protective shell of Bubble City, the first perfect city in the world. Okay. As in the show Shit's Creek. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Chronophage. Oh, I was about to say, just to, just to, just to finish the story, the first issue of Justice Warriors is out June 8th, 2022. Oh, gotcha. Thank you. Uh, safe to say, well, hmm, let's see. Chronophage, new graphic novel explores literal parasitic, uh, romance. So it says, with Chronophage out in stores now, IDN can debut a, an exclusive preview of this new book from writer Tim Seeley of Hack and Slash and artist, uh, Alias Carid. Curiosities. My apologies. Um, but you can check out the, the slideshow before under here. Uh, there's a official description of this graphic novel, but I won't necessarily go into it, but it seems kind of interesting. Well, I get to it a little bit. When Chloe begins a passionate relationship with a traveling businessman, her life suddenly changes for the better, maybe flipped upside down. Anyway, um, and, is, and not just because she's getting laid. Lost friends return, and new opportunities suddenly appear. Soon, though, she begins uh, ex- uh, experiencing horrific encounters with ghostly beings, uh, eventually revealed to be the echoes of moments she now has no longer lived. Um, which strangely sounds like a movie that I just saw a trailer for. Um, her new lover, Heath Strands, revealed as a chronophage, a ter- terrifying alien being who subsists on days literally stolen from Chloe's personal history. Um, yeah, that definitely sounds like a movie that I just saw something about, which is kind of interesting, but uh, no, no tie-in for that. Doesn't even sound like the same name. But regardless, there you go. If that's of interest to you, hey, that's something to look into. Next up. Hmm. Sorry, I was just reading a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Read Pop hires Chris Arant as editor in chief. So uh, Chris Arant had recently left Games Radar Newsarama, where he had worked in various capacities, including senior editor, for more than a decade. 
His new gig was just announced, and that is creating comics-based content for Reed Pop, the organizer of New York Comic Con, among many other pop culture events. Arant will serve as editor-in-chief of their growing editorial efforts in the comics and pop culture space. As the company focuses on building new ways for fans to access and engage with the content they love. So, uh, Read Pop uh, developed more hybrid online slash in-person events during the pandemic, and they are expected to expand that, especially the online portion with things like the metaverse branding um, and the hall marketplace. So, having an experienced content maker like Arant on board makes a ton of sense. Sure. Last but not least, Doctor Who is finally revealing the Fugitive Doctor's origin. Um, spoilers for Doctor Who Origins number one. Uh, so it says, Soon Doctor Who will finally begin to reveal the Fugitive Doctor's origins in a new miniseries from Titan Comics. The upcoming arc uh, begins shortly before Free Comic Book Day on April 13th and continues the following month in Doctor Who's origins. Uh, Doctor Who origins, excuse me. Uh, it says here, when the 13th Doctor learns about her forgotten past, she was just as surprised as viewers. Uh, predating the first Doctor, the fugitive Doctor portrayed uh, by Joe Martin, was one regeneration from an unspecified amount of lives. Um, retroactively, this bizarre reveal caused the Doctor's numbers to be inaccurate. Spoiler alert, the Doctor's numbers were already inaccurate, so <laughs> thanks to some 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 crazy shit. Let's, let's, let us not forget the war, Doctor, folks. Anywho, um, uh, but anyway, the, the Doctor's numbers uh, were inaccurate and made it so that Jodie Whittaker is not the first female regeneration canonically. Can, canonically. Uh, particularly due to some black la- black backlash from fans, the twist hasn't been explored much further. Uh, go figure. Damn fans. However, Doctor Who comics uh, might elaborate on the plot point and expand on the Doctor's true origins. So I guess it's going to be canon. Uh, so yeah, like I said, uh, look out for that. First issue is set to be released on May 18th. So yeah. It's a nice cover, by the way. I like that. Um, oh, we be angels. And that, folks, is that for the news. Um... You didn't have anything in your toy corner, did you not? I do. Okay. I do. I definitely do, and I already showed it to you. So here on Toy Corner this week, I wanted to mention that uh, I don't know if it's actually still available on the Walgreens website, but the Quasar Marvel Legends figure was available on on the Walgreens website and may be available in your local Walgreens, so I suggest that you check it out. But here in New York City, at least where I am in Brooklyn, the Walgreens that are near me don't always get their their, their allotment of uh, Marvel Legends, especially the exclusives, the way some others do. Some of them have been much harder to find than, than others. Um, you know, sometimes if I recall correctly, I had no problems getting a Reed Richards, but I had a hell of a time getting the original, uh, uh, Ben Grimm that came out, uh, as a Marvel legends, Walgreens exclusive, but I was very happy to be able to order on my phone through this, the Walgreens app the quasar and i'm very pleased with getting this quasar to add him to my cosmic marvel group and avengers grouping it is a very well done figure 
the quantum bands are done very well here. There's a couple of, um, uh, you know, there's there the, uh, the the fireball fist effects that are that are are included as well as flying hands. So he has another set of hands to come to go with them. Uh, the one minor criticism I have is that the inside of his cape is in black, painted with stars. It's just the blue painted with stars, which is fine. But I I I, I you know I I envision the character as having the black uh, inner lining of the cape. But otherwise, this is a great figure, and I definitely recommend you add this to your collection if you have any affinity for 90s era Quasar. 90s, 2000s Quasar. You're muted. I'm looking at uh, Walgreens' site, and it seems to say that it's not available in stores. What's online only? Right. Um... Shit is out. It's also saying out of stock shipping. Oh no! So yeah. I would suggest still going to check because it's not always accurate when you're going on the website. Yeah, you know to look for stuff that's in store because they 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 just can't keep track of how many figures are in each store. They I think they tried to in the past and it's just unsuccess. They were unsuccessful. Right, and I've told you some of the stuff that I've seen in in stores that is still laid there for ever in a day. Right. So, cool. Uh, can we get one more ad read in? Our last ad read of the night, folks. It is late, but I'm going to go with Funko, fun at, first, fun at First Sight. It's your home for collectible, for exclusive collectibles, such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel, including T-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise, such as their custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off, and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us. Do it today. And as we come toward the end of another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for coming out, especially if you made it through this whole show. I know it was kind of lengthy because we had a lot of news and a lot of books. Um, I have been Rydicat. You can find me at Rydicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PC underscore Dirt on Twitter, PopCultureNet on Twitter, PopCultureNetwork.com, and uh, all the umbrella sites therein. And, of course, uh, the Osiris that is ish. Um, uh, Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter. Uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Comic Book Chronicles uh, Twitter account. Uh, the Click Nation on Twitter. That's V-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, all one word. And, of course, theclicknation.com, spelled the same way. But also, uh, you can find him over at comicbook.com, writing his face off. Uh, you could find this here podcast on the Coast of the Podcast Network, cspn.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find us at a true podcast principal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Little Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. 
You can also find this recording every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m., possibly with the exception of next week, but we will let you know on social media whether that's going to be the case. Maybe right. uh, movie protocol, but we don't. We know. may not be. Right. We're not sure yet because uh, as of the taping of this show, the Batman, the Batman is coming out next week. It'll be out next Thursday, opening night. Whether or not we'll be in movie protocol remains to be seen. So as Roddy Cat said, stay tuned to our socials, as uh, he stated, as he named them off earlier. And uh, we'll let you know if we're going to be in movie protocol. We may not know until the last second. We'll be honest. Right, basically. But like I said, we'll let you know. Uh, but that being the case, hey, normally, and even if it's still the case, uh, we do record live every Thursday night, 9.30ish p.m. Like I said, on uh, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation. And uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles, all in word. Make sure to hit like and subscribe and uh, give us five-star reviews. Oh, I hit my cut myself off. Give us five star reviews. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, um, either we will see you next week or we will not see you next week. But we will definitely see you for the next episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Um, and to that, we say peace, peace. And I really mean peace right now. Shout out to the Ukrainian people. One, absolutely. And knowing is half the battle. 